Today's episode of El Fanboy is brought to you by you. Yes, you. And I don't even just want to single out my Patreon patrons this time. I want to point out that you, just by downloading this podcast, just by engaging me on Twitter, or by visiting elfanboy.com, you make this possible. You are why I do this and why I want to be an advocate for you. These last few weeks have been one heck of a ride, and I just want to formally welcome all of my new listeners and supporters. I also want to acknowledge your desire for more content. Many of you have reached out to me to let me know that you check lfanboy.com on a nearly daily basis for more updates. And I want you to know that I hear you. And coming in 2018, I will address that insatiable appetite of yours. Oh yes, a movement is coming, and you're all going to be a part of it. So stay tuned. On today's show, I'll cover all of the week's top stories, placing special emphasis on all things Star Wars, and I'll wrap it up with a great hour-long chat with Rick Shue of Batman on Film and one of my longtime listeners and supporters, Aaron Verola, as a special thank you to him for his undying support. If you'd like to pitch in for the show, please visit www.patreon.com slash lfanboy today. But now, let's start the show. L Fanboy, episode 42. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is the 42nd edition of the El Fanboy Podcast. So I think I was about eight years old, and there had been either a blizzard or a huge rainstorm going on, and for whatever reason, my elementary school opted to bring us into the auditorium, since we couldn't go out to recess, and show us a movie. And the movie they chose was Return of the Jedi. And up to that point, Star Wars had been something that was sort of on the periphery for me. I I didn't get to see any of the original films in theaters. I was born in 1983, same year as when Return of the Jedi came out. So I kind of missed that ship. You know, I saw a little bit of it on TV when I was like four or five. And I remember being fascinated by, you know, the laser swords and uh, and Darth Vader being a very cool, sort of weird, dark, scary thing. But I didn't really have much of a connection, really, to Star Wars. It was just sort of there in the ether. And that day, I remember they started the movie, and everyone around me was just being a sort of usual, sort of reckless kid. They're throwing papers at each other. They're turning around on their chairs. They're talking. They're crawling around on the floor trying to evade the 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 glances of the teachers and everyone's just sort of distracted and not given a crap and I remember suddenly everyone else disappeared I remember sitting in that theater and I felt like it may as well have been a screening for one because I was just sort of floored by that whole opening sequence at Jabba's palace the sheer imagination on display the costumes the props the design, the foreign, the, the, the language they invented for Jabba the Hutt with the subtitles, this whole like immersive, fully fleshed out world just sort of melted my brain. And I remember just like staring transfixed at the screen and wondering why isn't everyone else just, is anyone else seeing this but me? This is unbelievable. 
Because see, for me as a kid, my imagination was everything. As a kid, that was my escape from everything. You know, I didn't have brothers and sisters. I didn't have a very big, you know, uh, group of friends. I just sort of lived in my bedroom with action figures and toys and video games. And I just kind of had to invent my own sort of imaginary world where I could play and escape and have fun in. And Star Wars kind of gave me that. It, it Like getting to visit that world that afternoon, it wasn't even for the whole movie, mind you. It was just for a period. So I think we saw like the first half hour. But I remember like going back home after that day of school and just suddenly pulling out all my Star Wars action figures that I had been given over the years just because, you know, that was a popular thing to get kids. But, you know, so I had all these figures and I had a couple of the ships and I closed my door and I set up this whole sort of world on my bed. And so began this love of Star Wars on a deeper level. Suddenly these characters, they became part of my imagination. They became part of my escape, part of where I wanted to go. And suddenly I had a whole other kind of thing to sink my teeth into. Because up to that point, my big sort of fanboy obsession had been Superman and DC. And in certain ways, you know, my love of Superman was a way for me to imagine the world I live in as a better place. It was a way for me to imagine, wouldn't it be amazing to have this hero in a red cape who could fly in and save the day and make this world a better place? With Star Wars, I was given this gift of an entirely different galaxy, an entirely different world that I could get to visit. And in a way, it just sort of expanded the scope of my imagination. It expanded my scope of what I saw as possible. It, it awoke in me this desire to be a creative artist. And it really sort of fleshed out these little crumbs of ideas I had in me. And suddenly I started writing stories and creating my own sort of Star Wars spinoffs, my own Star Wars stories. You know, suddenly it just, it, 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 it took me someplace and if on some level we as kids and we as people, even as grownups, if we, you know, if on some level we read comic books, we see movies, we watch TV shows, and if we're doing that to escape, Star Wars has to be one of the greatest escapes ever created. And that's one of the reasons why this week I'm just like, nothing else matters to me this week aside from getting to see Star Wars The Last Jedi on, on Friday. I'm going to have my wife with me. I'm going to have my six-year-old daughter, who has become rather obsessed with Star Wars, I guess, you know, seeing it through my eyes. Uh, she actually dressed up as, as Darth Vader last year for Halloween. I'm also going to have my friend Rob Marrera and his wife and, and um, a buddy of his and his daughter. And it's going to be a group of 10 of us sitting there kind of getting to visit that far off galaxy again. And for someone like me who fell into that galaxy far, far away because he felt so alone and because he felt like he needed some other place he could visit because the current trappings of his life just kind of weren't doing it for him. Uh, to be able to go there now surrounded by my loved ones and as part of this life that I've built for myself, uh, it's... It's sort of indescribable.
And I just kind of can't believe that I get to visit that place, that magical place again, this time with people. (laughs) All right, uh, let's get to the week's news. This weekend at the box office saw Coco repeat for a third consecutive week at the number one spot. That's right, Coco in its third week eased only 33%, that's a lot of threes, for an 18.4 million first place bow. Then in second place there was Justice League with 9.6 million, that's a 42% drop in its fourth frame. Currently, Justice League rests at $614.7 million. Uh, Some interesting sort of analysis on that. You know, the people over at Deadline, who I consider, you know, authorities on the matter. Deadline is not some clickbait fanboy blog. They don't, you know, they're here just to be uh, a straight news outlet. And to hear how they interpret how Justice League is performing is quite telling. Uh, In a recent article covering how the film is doing. Here's how they characterize what happened with Justice League. They said, while critics have dinged Justice League and the film has strained to break even, earning $613.4 million at that point in time, uh, Warner Brothers is responsible for driving the autumn box office, thanks to that DC title, plus their monster hit, It!, Ditto that for the summer season, where Warner Brothers led all studios for the four-month period with $790 million thanks to Wonder Woman. At $212 million through four weekends, Justice League is running 6.5% ahead of where the studio's Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them stood one year ago. That pick ended its run at $234 million, and it's conceivable that Justice League could outstrip that pick. So why is that interesting? Well, we're going to get into all that stuff later. Uh, I know that the show has been very sort of DC heavy for the last month and change because of Justice League and, you know, my natural sort of allegiance as a fan. So, you know, I will be tackling all that, but keep all keep what I just read for you in mind, because we are going to be discussing later on the future of DC and sort of how the slate is coming together and what's getting chopped off and what might be coming on. Because, you know, it, it's it's interesting that Warner Brothers may be able to just take the L on this and move on. But let's continue. Speaking of moving on, let's move on with our top five. In third place, Wonder is still doing remarkably well. The Lionsgate film made $8.4 million. Okay, that's just a little low-budget indie, and it's currently at $129.6 million worldwide. Kind of unbelievable when you think about it. I, I think I have yet to see a commercial for this movie. It's just doing wonderfully based on reviews and word of mouth. In fourth place, there was The Disaster Artist, which went wide this week. And the funny thing is, it's not even that wide. It's only at 840 theaters compared to uh, 19 theaters last week. So it's in a sort of still somewhat limited release, and yet there it is in the top four with $6.3 million. There's a lot, a lot of positive buzz around that James Franco film, and I, for one, plan on seeing it at some point in the next week or two, if I don't get a screener in the mail, that is. Uh, in fifth place, there is Marvel's Thor Ragnarok still in there, and its sixth week, it made $6.2 million 
with a 36.6% drop. Right now, that $180 million movie stands at $833.7 million worldwide. So kudos to the team and to Taika Waititi over there for Thor Ragnarok. They're still just killing it. It's it's crossed the $800 million mark last week. It now has made more than Wonder Woman. Who would have ever expected any of that from Thor 3? I'm still just sort of stuck on stupid about that. But now, this is Star Wars week, so what sort of Star Wars news do we have for you? Well, first of all, the uh, the buzz is great. You know, there was a there was a premiere a couple nights ago, and people who attended were allowed to discuss it on social media. And my God, people are tripping over themselves to say great things about this film. So right now, the social media buzz is extremely high. Later today, we should find out what the Rotten Tomatoes tomatometer has to say about it. But um, right now, the buzz is palpable. And, you know, there were a lot of eyes on this film because, remember, this is the follow-up to The Force Awakens, and The Force Awakens was huge. And a lot of people wondered, is this going to be like a retread of Empire Strikes Back? Can this possibly live up to the high bar that The Force Awakens created for some? You know, there were a lot of questions as to whether or not this can really sort of get the series, you know, keep it going and perhaps even make it better. You know, because their expectations that what Ryan Johnson has has come up with here must be amazing because they, they, they just gave him the reins to a whole new trilogy. So with all the curiosity surrounding this film, it's very encouraging exactly how positive the social media buzz is. Then again, you know, slight cautionary tale, you know, there was also a considerable positive you know, wave of social media buzz around Justice League about a month ago, and we know how that panned out. It still ended up at 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Somehow, I don't think that's going to be an issue here. Uh, the amount of praise here, it's very just, it's just praise, which is different. You know, with Justice League, there was a lot of like, it was, it was good, but. This doesn't have a lot of good buts. It's just, this was great. So I'm very, you know, the, the buzz is very encouraging to see. Uh, the projections, box office-wise, are through the roof. And the funny thing is, I didn't initially think that they would be. I know that sounds crazy. But honestly, you know, I think looking at The Force Awakens as a barometer is sort of misleading. Because remember, The Force Awakens had a lot of other outside factors working for it. It was the first Star Wars movie in a very long time. And... It promised to bring us back to Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Princess Leia. So all these people who had grown up on Star Wars, as well as people who became Star Wars fans through the prequels, sort of everyone wanted to see what the next chapter was going to be. There was this huge curiosity factor that there's no way anything could ever replicate that. You know, this you know, Last Jedi is not the first Star Wars film in a thousand years. It's actually the third Star Wars film in three years. So I honestly initially thought, okay, obviously it's going to do amazingly well because it's freaking Star Wars. But I didn't expect it to do insane numbers. Remember, Force Awakens opened to $248 million domestically in its opening weekend. That is bananas. That is insane, $248 million. 
And the projections currently have Star Wars around 220. That's right. The Last Jedi, they're saying it could open 220 or more. And, you know, I'm starting to sort of think I, I was wrong. I think this thing could open very close to The Force Awakens, and it could be a complete Goliath at the box office. And it's partially because, and this is a sad thing to bring up, but, you know, the film has another thing going for it now that no one could have planned for, and that is the untimely death of Princess Leia. You know, there's there's an allure about untimely deaths, and I'm not trying to trivialize anything. Obviously, you know, it's it's a very sad situation what happened with Carrie Fisher. But just looking at box office trends, audiences tend to flock to see movies they wouldn't normally see because a big death occurred and they kind of want to see how that impacts the film. You know, that happened with The Dark Knight when Heath Ledger died right before the release of the film. There was all this buzz around, oh, now we got to go see his final performance. We hear his Joker is incredible. And that movie took a huge leap. Remember, Batman Begins opened around 300, no, not opened, it, it finished its run at $367 million worldwide. Dark Knight, which is the sequel to that, made over a billion. That's quite a jump, and it's not just because the movie was better. It's because there were people who were very, very intrigued by what happened with Ledger. Similarly, even Furious 7, when Paul Walker had his untimely death while you know during the filming of that movie, Suddenly, that movie had like the biggest box office of anything in that series history up to that point. And now there's a lot more eyeballs on it for these future sequels because they were brought in by their curiosity for Furious, Furious 7, curiosity that was fueled by the untimely death of Paul Walker. So now, Star Wars The Last Jedi has that sort of, you know, in mixed into what's going on here. Because people grew up on Carrie Fisher. Princess Leia is an undeniable part of pop culture for everyone. Whether you're a Star Wars fan or not, you picture you know, Princess Leia with the buns on the side of her head. And, you know, or uh, for some of you, the uh, Return of the Jedi Golden Bikini. So, you know, she's just a part of our vernacular here. And to know that this is the final time that we're ever going to get to see her as Leia... That sort of X factor could turbocharge this thing up to numbers that are close to The Force Awakens. And that's, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to eat my earlier projections that, you know, I, I just didn't think. I thought it would, it would approach 200 million, but I definitely didn't think it would be passing 220 or getting anywhere near the 240s. But you know what? I may be way wrong about that. Um, yeah, the, over on Forbes, they were talking about it also. You know, Force Awakens, it managed to leg out a multiplier of almost four. For those of you who don't follow, you know, box office stuff, it means the multiplier is based on how much it made that opening weekend, how many more times that did it make once it completed its run. And Force Awakens did 3.77 times what it made in its opening weekend because of the incredible legs that film had. Um, and that's another area where, you know, it's why I think ultimately Force Awakens will have grossed more than Last Jedi. But this one looks like it's going to be pretty close. Looks like it could be pretty darn close. Um, so there's also rumors about the Boba Fett movie. 
Uh, my friends over at Omega Underground sort of unleashed this rumor onto the web that it looks like perhaps Simon Kinberg, who's currently directing X-Men Dark Phoenix, is attached to a Boba Fett movie. You know, they report that the film is slated to shoot at Pinewood Studios, that the, you know, um, that Kinberg and Lawrence Kasdan are attached as producers. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I personally have reached out to Mr. Kinberg, and I'm currently awaiting comment uh, from him about this rumor. As of now, I'm still awaiting that response. If he gets back to me with something I can share, you guys will be the first to know. Personally, I've never been a huge Boba Fett guy. Uh, I know that there's this huge base of people who have been dying for this rumored Boba Fett bounty hunters movie for a while. So if it happens, I'll be happy for you guys who who care that much about it. But there, for me, there's just nothing inherently exciting about the idea of that movie. Um, and while we're mentioning your know, Star Wars and, and Pinewood, you know, something that, that, that strikes me as interesting about Lucasfilm's approach with Star Wars and how well it's paying off is how much time and how much care they put into the development of these movies. Because I remember, you know, I was, I was at Pinewood Studios visiting the set of Assassin's Creed, walking the corridors that were about to be turned over into sets for episode eight for this movie we're about to see. And that was in October of 2015. This film has been, you know, in production for a very long time and they had an exorbitant amount of time in post-production to make sure that it was as good as it can be. And I feel like, you know, that's a lesson that other studios need to learn. Studios that shall not be named right now. But, you know, don't rush your stuff. You know, I, I remember, you know, I, I was sort of thrown off by it because The Force Awakens hadn't even come out yet. The four, when I was in London at Pinewood Studios, it was October like 20th when I was there on the set. And Frank Marshall was telling us, oh, yeah, you know, the, uh, they're, they're going to be moving Star Wars into here. Uh, on November 15th. And I'm like, wow, that's a month before The Force Awakens even comes out. This is crazy. But, you know, so I just think that there's something to this. The fact that they give these films all this time is nothing but good. And I think that's how they've been able to skirt some of these production issues they've been having and, and sort of push them under the rug a little bit because they give themselves time to deal with hurdles that come up along the way. If they need to rewrite something, if they need to shift something, if they need to do some pickups and reshoots, they've got so much time. Because this film, I, I think it wrapped like in the middle of last year. It's insane how long this film has been in post-production, but kudos to Disney and to Lucasfilm for giving the Star Wars films all that they need. And the other big story this week, of course, is that Disney is looking like they're about to pull the trigger and finish the deal, and they're going to buy Fox. Uh, reports right now from CNBC say that the deal for Disney to buy 21st Century Fox is all but complete, and that the companies are set to announce the acquisition on Thursday. Holy smokes. Now, there's been a lot of debate as to like what this would entail, what exactly are the particulars of what Disney would get. So, you know, according to this report, uh, they would acquire the Fox studio, 
which produces its films and original television shows. Fox would keep all of its news and sports assets as it would be more in a um, grounded direction going forward. The acquisition of the studio would include FX, National Geographic, and Fox's stake in Hulu. So Disney would be getting an awful lot. Obviously, everyone wants to focus on the fact that they'd be getting the X-Men back and Fantastic Four and all those other little Marvel properties under those two umbrellas that Fox has been keeping all to themselves and bogarting for all of these years. Um, There's an interesting voice of dissent coming from the director of Logan that I'd like to share with you guys, Mr. James Mangold, a filmmaker to the highest degree, who I recommend, you know, who I um, vehemently support. He's a great, great filmmaker. And here's what he had to say about this. Uh, he says, if they're actually changing their mandate, if what they're supposed to do alters, uh, that would be sad to me because it just means less movies. The real thing that happens when you make a movie rated R behind the scenes is that the studio has to adjust to the reality that there will be no Happy Meals. There will be no action figures. The entire merchandising, cross-pollinating side of selling the movie to children is dead before you even start. And when that's dead, it means you're making a grown-up movie. Now, what he's talking about here in a sort of roundabout way is he's making the instant assumption that if Disney owns Fox, then there goes the sort of rated R, sort of edgy, more interesting material that Fox has been cooking up lately. Remember, with Deadpool, they launched a whole new, edgier, harder take on the X-Men mutants you know, via Deadpool and Colossus and where they're going with that. Then there's going to be Deadpool 2. There's X-Force. James Mangold got to make that riveting Logan movie earlier this year. We know that you know um, they're going to make Gambit. And the new mutants are coming out in a few months. So Mangold seems to be of the mind that if Disney does step in and does their Disney thing, where they're so into the merchandising and the cross-pollination of the properties and trying to sell you toys and cartoons and spinoffs and, you know, pajamas that have Wolverine on them, that all of a sudden we're not going to get these rated R movies anymore. And he's absolutely right to be to voice that concern. I have been saying here for the last month or so, ever since the, the, the news of this merger first sort of sprung up, I've been saying they had better let Fox continue to develop these movies for grown-ups on the side. You know, do whatever you want to do with the core X-Men and with Fantastic Four. If you want to fold them into the MCU somehow, go for it. That's fine. Those, those properties are, are you know, treasures of the Marvel you know, library, so I hope they get to actually mine them properly. But leave my rated R edgy stuff alone. So I'm really hoping that, as I've mentioned before, that they take, you know, that, that, they, that they make like a separate branch of, Mar- of the Marvel sort of world that will allow Fox to continue to make these grown-up movies. You know, Mangold over here is is very worried about that. Um, and he's also worried about the fact that, like, you know, Disney owning Fox could mean fewer movies are getting produced in general. Because now, by buying up their competition, they can really sort of control the slate, really kind of control what movies are released in what windows, and that there's no competition for their movies. You know, it's kind of a scary thing, and it takes me back to years ago, having conversations with my aunt, who is, you know, she's uh, Elizabeth Pena, a Hollywood actress. 
you know, telling me about how like all the studios are starting to, to produce fewer and fewer films because, you know, the, the costs have gone up. Fewer people are going to movies and it's more about safe bets. That's why everyone says, oh, Hollywood's not creative anymore. Why do they keep just making sequels and remakes and reboots? And it's because they become gun shy. It's because truly avant-garde creative stuff doesn't really sell the way it used to. That's why they, instead of making, let's say, you know, 30 you know, mid-budget movies that may or may not hit well, they'd rather make you know, 15 or 20 high-budget movies that already have a built-in fan base that are going to return on that investment. And that's one of the reasons why TV got that big boom in the last 15 years. Because all these Hollywood types, these writers and directors and actors, were pretty much like out of work. They had nothing to do because the studios were starting to cut down on how many films they produced. So where did they go? They went to the television industry. That's why we have so many wonderful TV series and so many, you know, grade A talent is now on the small screen. So reading that comment from Mangold also got me thinking about that. He's right. You know, this could continue to shrink in an odd way. The movie industry, in terms of how many movies we get to see and with a variety of voices we get to hear. So, you know, that's that's an interesting point, and I'm fascinated to see how that all plays out. Now, someone who is uh, not really so worried about that is his star. Uh, the <laughs> Hugh Jackman, who played Logan for 17 years and had that wonderful send-off earlier this year, he commented on it. And here's what he had to say about the merger. He says, it's interesting because for the whole 17 years, I kept thinking that would be so great. Like, I would love to see particularly Iron Man and the Hulk and Wolverine together. And every time I saw an Avengers movie, I could just see Wolverine in the middle of all of them, like punching them all in the head. But it was like, oh, well, that's not going to happen. And it was interesting just when I first saw that headline. It was just the possibility of it. And who knows what's going to happen? Obviously, I was like, hang on. But I think, unfortunately, the ship has sailed for me. But for someone else, I would like to see Wolverine in there. So this kind of does two things. A, it points out that Jackman is kind of excited just as a fan to see the X-Men enter the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it also finally puts to bed some of these you know, rumors that were sprouting up that he may don the claws again. Because if you'll recall, earlier this year, as part of his farewell tour, people were asking him, like, you know, would you be Wolverine again? And he would say things like, well, you know, I would only do it if it was part of the Marvel Studios movies. You know, if, if they found a way to merge the two franchises that would, you know, sort of get me to want to play Logan again. Well, it looks like he's officially backpedaled on that. Um, and I'm kind of glad, you know, I, I, I think Logan is a beautiful work of art. And it was a fitting send off to his tenure as Logan. So I, I, I'm kind of glad sort of leaving that alone. So now I'm still just sort of left to ponder this idea of like what happens with the R-rated more mature fare if Disney owns Fox. And you know what? There is reason for hope. There absolutely is reason for hope. And I think it flies under the radar of most because it's a different medium. But, well, it's not a different medium, but it's a different sort of facet of their entertainment output, uh, which is while Disney has been very, very guarded about their movies 
and yeah, the Marvel movies. Remember, on Netflix, they get to go real dark, real mature, real violent. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to make an X-Men TV series on Netflix. I'm saying that the Netflix series are an example of how Disney does have wiggle room. They are willing to let Marvel play in the grown-up playground under the right circumstances. They're not totally like, nope, nope, absolutely not. Everything has to be PG. There can't be any blood or cussing or anything. We have to, you know, we have to make this family entertainment. Clearly, Disney does see the value in allowing some of the darker source material to venture off into dark places. So hopefully the Marvel Netflix stuff should give us hope that there's a possibility that they would, you know, allow Fox to continue doing what it's doing on the side of the MCU as part of a separate leg of uh, what's going on with the Marvel Universe. We can only hope. Um, But on the subject of X-Men, too, you know, do you guys see the new images from Dark Phoenix that came out last week? Pretty impressive stuff, really. You know, it, it... it's starting to look more and more like the comic book saga come to life, not like the gimped sort of pseudo adaptation that we've seen in the past of the Dark Phoenix. And in general, it looks like first time director, longtime producer Simon Kinberg really is trying to bring something new and different and exciting to the table. He's not just trying to do an extension of what Brian Singer did with the uh, with the first round of X-Men movies. He's really trying to like embrace the comic book roots and take us in in, in some exciting new directions. And you know that that's kind of got me excited. That movie hasn't really been on my radar, but those images sort of caught my attention. And now I'm starting to hear more about it and you know what? I'm starting to kind of my ears are starting to perk up a little bit. Uh Sophie Turner from Game of Thrones and who plays Jean Grey and who plays the titular uh Dark Phoenix had some interesting remarks to say in her uh, in, as part of a spread with Entertainment Weekly. She said, um, well, actually, I, let me mention what Kinberg said, which sort of perfectly sets this up. He says that with this film, you know, he really wanted to acknowledge the strength of the women in the comic and in the actresses that we have and the central storyline demands it. And here's where Turner comes in. She says, it's really exciting. I think there's such a revolution in superhero movies. I feel like this movie is a revelation because of it being like a drama, but the hero is a female and she's also the villain. It really is about her relationships with the females in the film, especially Jessica Chastain's character. It's really interesting to have those two characters be kind of the two biggest characters in the movie and both be female and so layered and complex. And Jessica Chastain also chimed in on that theme. She said, I've always wanted to do a big comic book franchisee film, but I had some issues with the female characters in the films I was being offered. I was really pleased with this script because I think it's a departure from the norm. This definitely passes the Bechdel test, and I don't know how many comic book films can say that. Um, and also I, Mario, I can also tell you that I've spoken directly with someone involved in the making of X-Men The Dark Phoenix, and there really is like a palpable sense of excitement about what they're creating over there. They're really trying to embrace the comic book mythology more than ever, and there's this real hope that fans will love the new direction they're heading in. Um, 
That's why it almost makes it bittersweet that if the, you know if Marvel does take the X Men and sort of just try to reboot them in, you know, it's kind of a shame because it, it really seems like they're 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 trying to forge, you know, new ground here. They're they're trying to sort of up the ante on this franchise, which is already seventeen years old and it's trying to reinvent itself. Um, so you know, it's kind of a shame, you know, if, if they do reboot it. But I got to tell you, you know, suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. Dark Phoenix is on my radar. Um, as for things that should be on your radar or, or you know, <laughs> we got to talk about DC. We got to talk about their slate. We got to talk about some of the uh, things that have happened since I last spoke to you. By the way, for whatever reason, last week's episode feels like it was a month ago. I feel like so much has happened so when I was putting together this show, I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't get to speak to them about that or that or that or that. So here we go. Um, there was a big variety report last week. Uh, I kind of gave my my two cents on the matter and, uh, as part of a vlog with Batman on film, which through some weird happenstance, I actually uploaded onto my YouTube channel, the El Fanboy YouTube channel. So if you, if you have not yet seen it, it is currently my pinned tweet or you can just Google, you know, the El Fanboy YouTube channel, or there's links to it on theelfanboy.com. You should check that out. But let me kind of give you the nuts and bolts of, of what they actually claim is going on. So according to Variety, John Berg will be leaving his current job sort of running the DC Entertainment Film Production Division. Uh, according to several sources, they say that he's going to be moving into a position where he's he's producing films with Roy Lee as part of like a separate venture. You know, Roy Lee is the producer of the Lego movie and it. And, you know, he's basically kind of doing like a lateral move. He's not been fired. He's not been demoted, but he's just moving from DC Entertainment to another sort of production wing. And according to Toby Emmerich, you know, this is something that John approached me about six months ago, and he expressed his goal was to ultimately be a producer at the studio. Then he added, I first met John when, as a producer, he brought Elf to New Line, which, rem which remains one of the best and most evergreen titles in the library. We're thrilled that John is partnering with Roy and anticipate their company being a valuable source of movies for Warner Brothers and New Line. But then what does this mean for Jeff Johns, who also kind of rose up to power around the same time as John Berg within DC Films? Remember, Johns was named president and chief creative officer. Um, although, oddly enough, like that, that whole thing was always just sort of dubious to me. Because he's the president, but Diane Nelson was also listed as the president. And by all accounts, he had to report to Diane Nelson the whole time. So how do you have a president reporting to another president? Shouldn't he have been like vice? Shouldn't he? I don't know. So something about that power structure has always been very, very baffling. Uh, but there's going to be <laughs> there's more baffling stuff on the horizon here. Because what they're saying now is um, his role is somewhat uh, evolving. And it looks like he's going to be more of, you know, he's, he's going to be in the, like in, a, in a, an advisory role moving forward when it comes to the DC films. And just to sort of reiterate a little bit of what I said in the vlog with Bill Jett Ramey of Batman on Film, um, you know, some of this doesn't really surprise me. You know, I always knew John Berg was leaving. You know, I, I, don't, I didn't know when, but, you know, he was like an Affleck guy. And I knew that with Affleck looking to bounce, Berg was going to be bouncing too. 
So him sort of moving on out, especially if he if 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 Emmerich is being truthful and he requested this move, then this doesn't really count as a quote unquote DC shakeup, now does it? Because you're not saying you got to get out of here, you screwed us. He's you're you'll you're fulfilling his request to move to another office. So it's like okay. Um, and then the thing with John's, like, it's just, it's hard to put my finger on how to feel about the Jeff John situation, because on the one hand, like I said in the video, he was always destined to be more or less just a really, really powerful advisor and nothing more. And the reason I say that is despite the title chief creative officer, despite the title president, which for some reason he had to share with someone else, you know, they're going for a filmmaker driven approach. That's very different than what Marvel does. Remember, Marvel has adapted the TV model. They are a producer-driven series where, yes, they allow directors like Taika Waititi and everyone else to come in and try to put their little stamp on things, but they have to stick with Feige's outline because at the end of the day, the buck stops at his desk, and if he doesn't sign off on it, and if it's not what he wants, guess what? It's getting changed. So DC doesn't want to run things that way. DC doesn't want that guy who is like the central brain. They want to be able to hire all kinds of top directing talent and to allow them to make the films the way they see fit. So, you know, Johns was never going to be that guy who has veto power. He's just going to be the guy who can look at your script and go, okay, well, can you tweak this? Because in the comic book mythology, this character really wouldn't do this, or this is a real departure from that. And, you know, this feels a little bit whatever. Can we try to make it into whatever? Like, it's more like suggestions, you know, because they were never going to have him be the guy who can go to Matt Reeves and say, hey, Matt Reeves, for the sequel, we want you to bring in the Penguin, and we want Batman to, you know, fight Clayface. Like, you know, he's never that guy who can make those kinds of demands. That's just not the structure at Warner Brothers. So on the one hand, to me, the move of Jeff Johns is like a nothing burger. I don't really think much happened. But on the other hand, it's it strikes me as more than a little unfair of the variety report and from some of what I'm hearing from behind the scenes at Warner Brothers that these two are being scapegoated. Because in reality, the way the timeline fits None of what happened here is their fault. You know, Johns did not really rise to, to prominence until after Batman v Superman had come out, until after a lot of the damage had been done already to the DC Films brand. And in reality, you know, he had a lot to do with Wonder Woman. You know, he has he's an uncredited writer on it. And in general, his creative consulting really helped benefit that film. By all accounts, Johns was very hands-on. And, you know, for him to have to suddenly take the L for Justice League, a film that he came on once the train had already left the station, it just doesn't seem fair. And if they are demoting him, and, and, and if I'm missing something here, and he really is like he's not the chief creative officer anymore, and they're, they're going to start valuing him less... That studio has its head up its you-know-what. I do not understand. Wonder Woman is, you know, there's not even an argument anymore. Wonder Woman is, is the high watermark of that series. So far, that is the one shining example of what DC can be, and that happened under his watchful care while he was part of that production. 
And we also know that moving forward, you know, he was going to be the guy sort of overseeing and just kind of helping out with Aquaman and everything else. So how do you now go, you know what? We're gonna give you. We're gonna. We're, we're we're gonna give you the fault for Justice League underperforming. You know, even though that you weren't really there, and and by all accounts, you were sort of cut out of the creative process for Man of Steel and for Batman v Superman. And it doesn't sound like you had anything to do with Suicide Squad. We're still gonna make you the one who has to suffer for what happened with Justice League. It just it doesn't make sense to me. I'm hoping that my initial take on this is right and that both Berg and Johns are fine and that this was really just sort of window dressing an attempt by the studio to manage their public relations and tell fans, hey, listen, we know that some of you are unhappy with what's happened, so we want you to know that we are taking action. I hope that's really what it is, because my goodness, if Johns is being punished for Justice League, these people are more clueless than I ever thought. Um, and speaking of clueless and speaking of just baffling sort of question marks, you know, a couple days ago at a Comic-Con over in Brazil, they announced, you know, that they trotted out a slate again. It's the same slate from San Diego Comic-Con. It includes, here we go, Aquaman, Flashpoint, Justice League Dark, Wonder Woman 2, Suicide Squad 2, Batgirl, Shazam, Green Lantern Corps, and The Batman. It makes no mention of anything else. Um, you know, I kind of gave my two cents on this on the Twitter, but just to reiterate, I don't see a, a good portion of these getting made at least anytime soon. You know, considering this is the same list they trotted out at San Diego Comic-Con, it really seems to be the case where they don't want to announce any major changes while Justice League is still in theaters. They're still hoping that this thing inches towards break-even, so they don't want to publicly put on a front, especially at a Comic-Con, in front of all these fans who are going to run home and tweet and YouTube and Instagram and whatever they do about it. You know, They don't want to tell them, yeah, so uh, half of these are gone forever now. So listen, I get that from a PR standpoint, but it's just, listen... You can't look at this list and expect a lot of these to happen. I personally think Green Lantern Corps is off the table, not because it wouldn't be awesome, but because it would be very expensive. To do a Green Lantern Corps movie correctly, you would need a ton of money because of all the, you know, just the, the very cosmic nature of it and the nature of the Green Lantern's powers. It would be an extremely costly film, and I don't think they're looking to di dive into anything all that costly. Justice League Dark, just the title alone, I think, makes them want to backpedal on it because it says Justice League. And right now they're still hurting because people rejected this Justice League for, you know, in, in many ways they rejected it. So for them to release a film called Justice League Dark, you know, unless they rebrand it, maybe they just call it Dark or they call it something else. I don't think they want to make anything related to Justice League anytime soon, especially because it's not even like a very mainstream property. You know, it's another almost sort of like Suicide Squad situation where, all right, we have to introduce you, mainstream audiences, to a whole new set of characters you don't really know and villains you're not familiar with. You know, there's too much legwork involved with getting people invested in a Justice League dark movie. So I think that one, gone. Batgirl, 
You know, I really don't I don't see Batgirl happening uh, just yet. I think if we're going to see anything about, you know, with, with, with female characters, that Gotham City Sirens is probably, you know, mo- more likely than Batgirl. Um, I just, you know, to me, she's a character that's a little off the beaten path in terms of like she's, you know, she's not one of the core Justice League characters. And I'm not sure what a huge mainstream following she has. So I really think there's going to be some trepidation there about Batgirl as well. But then again, what the hell do I know? Because apparently Nightwing, the Nightwing movie is still sort of on the horizon. And mind you, it's not even on this list. But the director, Chris McKay, is over on the Twitter still talking about how there's going to be some more concrete information about the film this coming February. Someone asked about, you know, when are we going to get some casting info? And, you know, Mr. McKay, who's very active on Twitter, and you got to hand it to him. He's very interactive with the fans, and he's not one of these directors who kind of lets, you know, his PR people sort of run his Twitter account. He wrote, I would expect to be able to tell you more concrete info on our movie's progress around February. So it sounds like, you know, there's still something going on there. Or there's also the possibility that he knows that in January, DC Entertainment's going to be convening and decide what gets made and what doesn't. So maybe that's why he's saying, let's wait till February before I can give you anything about the progress of the movie. So there's that, you know, there are two ways to interpret it. He's either saying, hey, I got some announcements for you in February, or I can let you know if this is even happening in February. Speaking of things that are it look like they may not be happening now is Lobo. I know you yeah, you're thinking, "What? Lobo? I haven't heard about that in ages." But yesterday it was announced that director Brad Payton, who was direct, who was uh, developing the Lobo movie, he has exited the project. And I expect that to be the trend for a lot of these other movies that are that have been somewhat mentioned. You know, there are four Harley Quinn movies. We're only really going to see one possibly two of them. There's a Booster Gold movie that was being developed by Greg Berlanti of the CW Universe. He was going to make a Booster Gold movie. We ain't going to see that. There's a lot of these. Remember, I I ran down a list a few episodes ago of like the 17 or 18 different DC projects that were supposedly in some level of production that, you know, they're all going to go away. And seeing Lobo do that, I think that's the beginning of what's going to be like a mass exodus from the once proposed slate. Um, so yeah, with this DC stuff, you know, I, I really hope that they get their uh, priority straight. I hope we get that Man of Steel 2 that Henry Cavill seems so, uh, you know, perky to discuss lately. You know, what, yeah, he, there, there was a quote that came out last week where he told, a, he told a fan that he's working on it. doesn't mean that he's working on it like it's in production, but he's working on like, he's, you know, he's campaigning for it. He wants another chance to play Superman. The, a Superman that he feels we didn't finally get to meet until Justice League. So I hope he gets that. I hope we get that announcement in January that I, I had, that initially had been told to me would be coming. I hope that these January meetings that, that Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment have are fruitful. There was something else that came out of that Variety report, by the way, that I wanted to bring up. Um, it looks like you know they're going to try to move the DC offices more like into the, the studio's main movie arm. Well, what that means is rather than have them at a separate office, 
they kind of want to make the DC films more of the general Warner Brothers output. And to me, that's the opposite of what we need. I think DC Entertainment needs more autonomy. I think DC Entertainment needs to have just, you know, hire the right people at the top and let them run separate because it's the Warner Brothers executives to begin with who have made questionable decisions and have led to where we're at today. So reading that in the Variety Report that, yeah, you know, they're going to be integrating DC's film operations into the studio's main movie arm. I'm like, no, that's the opposite of what we need. Let Diane Nelson and Jeff Johns move move to another state. Send them over here to New York. Get them away from the Burbank offices. Let them just run things separate of you. You guys have meddled enough. But okay, uh, that was... Uh, sorry. Uh, you guys know what these damn DC things do to me. Uh, moving right along. Uh, a couple months ago, I mentioned my trepidation about Creed Two. You know, I'm a big lifelong Rocky guy. It's another one of those things that my dad loved and then by extension I fell in love with and I have a huge soft spot for the Rocky series. And I was worried that Sylvester Stallone was directing Creed 2. And meanwhile, I love Sylvester Stallone. I love his character Rocky Balboa and I love what he's done and how it's evolved. It's incredible to me. But to me, he does not belong in the director's chair for Creed 2. Part of what made Creed 1 exciting and part of why it caught on is because it's new, it's fresh, it's young, it's different. And to have him, we already knew he was writing it, which he didn't write the first one. You know, he didn't write Creed. That was all, that was Ryan Coogler. To have him writing Creed 2 and directing Creed 2 is like, oh, so this is really just going to be Rocky 8 or whatever the hell it is at this point. Well, it looks like other people shared that concern because yesterday it was announced that he will not be directing it that they've actually hired a young filmmaker who'll be making his feature film debut. His name is Stephen Capel, or Capel Jr. Um, you know, like I said, it's his first feature. Uh, insiders are saying, yeah, you know, at the studio are saying that his film for the independent film channel called The Land, it's a coming-of-age tale, that that is sort of what got him on their radar. Um, and Stallone released a statement too. He said, you know, the character of Adonis Creed reflects this generation and its challenges. I believe it's important for the director to also be a part of this generation, like I was in mine, to make the story as relatable as possible. We are extremely lucky to have the talented young filmmaker Stephen Capel Jr. step up and accept the role of director. I am confident that he and Michael B. Jordan will hit it out of the park. Thank goodness. I really do think that this is the right move. I mean, I don't know Mr. Capel from a hole in the wall, but you know, I I just I, I like the idea that it's gonna be a fresh voice. And it looks like they're handling this right. And you know, and and Stallone wrote the film, but he also co-wrote it with someone with one of the writers from the Luke Cage Marvel series. So it seems like, you know, he he wants to have a young, fresh set of eyes overseeing this. So, you know, that's that for me, that's very encouraging for for Creed 2 and for fans of Rocky. Um, there's also some movement about the Crow movie. The Crow Reborn is going to be starring Jason Momoa. We've heard about it for a while. The film has been in some stage of development for many, many years. And something I kind of want to clear up here as someone who reported on it when it first sort of came into the limelight back in the day at Latino Review, and I've been following it ever since, 
is, you know, this is not a remake of the original Brandon Lee movie. And that's an important distinction because you have the director of that movie coming out and decrying this movie and saying, oh, they shouldn't remake my movie, whatever. And there's also fans who want to just roll their eyes about this film. You got to understand, this is not a remake. This is a brand new interpretation of the books because that movie was not really a direct adaptation. They took liberties there and they kind of, and they were more than entitled to do that. But the Crow movie was its own thing. This, The Crow Reborn, will be more like the books. And I remember reading about the, the, the creator, you know, James O'Barr. You know, he initially was like everyone else, saying, no, I don't think anyone should touch the 1994 Brandon Lee movie. I don't want to be involved with this. And he kind of spoke out against it. And the director at the time, by the way, it's, it's already changed a few times. I believe at the time it was F. Javier Gutierrez, uh, flew him, flew himself to meet with James O'Barr. And at the time, Luke Evans was going to be playing the lead. They both sat with O'Barr and explained their vision for the film and how it wasn't going to be a remake, how it was going to be a reinterpretation, a readaptation of his work. And James O'Barr came out of that conversation totally sold. Now, it's a shame that in the time since that meeting, both Luke Evans and F. Javier Gutierrez have left the project. And who knows now how it's really going to shape up. But, you know, the, the new director, Corin Hardy, has said that, you know, he really wants to focus more on the books. And he's not trying to remake the older movies. He's really looking to the original graphic novel for his, you know, inspiration. So... For what it's worth, it looks like that film is going to be entering production later this in 2018 and in, in, in like the fall of 2018. Let's see how that pans out. You know, let's see. I, uh, I, you know, I'm not a huge crow person in general, but you know, I, it's on my radar. You know, ever since hearing that story about you know Gutierrez and, and Evans pulling aside James O'Barr to talk about the movie and James O'Barr suddenly being excited about it, I suddenly got excited about it. So it's kind of on my radar. And for those of you guys who are interested in The Crow, just remember, this is not a remake of the Brandon Lee movie. Now, uh, while we're discussing things that are on radars, there were a number of huge, important trailers that have come out since we last spoke. So the first one that I want to talk about is the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom trailer. As, uh, as many of you know by now, I, was, I'm, I wasn't too fond of Jurassic World. I didn't hate it, but it just didn't do much for me. I think by the time the credits began to roll, I'd already forgotten how the movie started. Like, it just sort of vanished from my sense, from my psyche instantly. It was a very forgettable film. And when I saw people getting excited for the trailer for Fallen Kingdom... I was like, really? We're, we're getting excited about this? But you know what? Something weird happened. Something weird happened. Uh, it took me a couple days, but I finally, you know, I, uh, I opened it up on my computer. I opened it up to full screen. And before I pressed play, I called my kids over because my son is huge on dinosaurs. And uh, my, my daughter is a great sort of geek in training. So I sat the two of them on my lap and I pressed play. And you know... <laughs> about two minutes into that trailer, something happened where I think like the screen went dark because there was something dark happening in the movie. 
and I could see my own reflection on the screen and my reflection, I looked stunned. <laughs> I was, I looked like I was geeking out. I, and it's weird because in my mind, I have my, like my fanboy defenses up my cynicism, my screw this movie. I don't care you know, going on inside my brain. But then with my eyes, I saw my face and my mouth was ajar. My eyes were popped out and I was geeking out alongside my kids. My three-year-old son was losing it, going Triceracocks, Triceracocks. He has, he mispronounces words and my wife and I refuse to teach him the proper way to say them because we just think he's so cute and we want to maintain his innocence. He was just like screaming, seeing the T-Rex and the Raptors and whatever. And he's bouncing up and down in my seat and I'm watching and even though it doesn't look like it's going to be that much better than Jurassic World, it does look like the story itself may be more my speed than Jurassic World. It looks like less of a rehash, and it looks like it may cover some ground that could be new and exciting and fertile. And all of a sudden, I got to tell you, seeing that trailer, I'm like, you know what? Now this movie's officially on my radar, and assuming I hear it's not too violent for kids, I'm bringing my kiddos with me, and... Uh, you know, so the trailer actually, you know, if it was meant to suddenly sell non-believers such as myself, uh, it, you know, it, it, it took its first real step in that direction. So um, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but, you know, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom looks like it might be a, actually a pretty damn good time at the theaters. Um, then there was this trailer that also just, it was not on my radar, but now I don't know. Uh, you know, we, we heard a while ago about the animated Spider-Man movie that Lord and Miller were working on with Sony. And, you know, I felt like the project sort of stalled. You know, it, I, I hadn't heard much about it in a long time. And all of a sudden, this trailer, boom, arrives. It's called Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And I'm like, what is this? Um, man, the, the art style is unbelievable. The art style, the tone, it looks very sort of dramatic and interesting and starkly different from what we're seeing in the MCU. And it looks like it really is like its own animal. And suddenly I'm sort of, uh, it's on my radar. Maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm an easy mark, but it's suddenly like I'm, I'm thinking about this movie now. You know, the, it, 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 was, it was the art style itself that got me very intrigued. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for that one if you haven't seen it yet. But Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, uh, bring it on. Uh, although it should be noted, <clears throat> this is definitely, it's been confirmed, it is not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Tom Holland's Spider-Man is not involved with this. In fact, the Peter Parker we're going to meet in this movie is a middle-aged Peter Parker, a grown-up Peter Parker, who's going to be more of a mentor to this Miles Morales. So... Uh, if you can get over the fact that this is not really related to the live-action Spider-Man, I think this movie might be a real treat. Um, another one that looks like it's going to be a treat that I just... Now, like, it's moved up to my top priority. Like, after Star Wars, nothing's going to matter for me until this movie comes out. And that's Ready Player One. Oh, my God. Did you guys see the new trailer? I mean, look, the new one was pretty cool. But all it really had going for it at the time for me was the nostalgia and the and the sort of WTF factor. But this trailer 
Like now this is officially an event for me. This is like now I have to clear time on my calendar. I have to go see this in March. Um, you know, I'm a huge Spielberg nerd. And I've got to say, you know, this is the first Spielberg movie in years that I know in my bones I must go see. You know, his movies are always on my radar, but I don't always get around to seeing them. I always plan on it, and then uh, something else came up that day, so I'll see Lincoln on TV. Or, you know, just with a lot of his movies lately, I'm just kind of like, oh, and the Bridge of Spies also. Like, that looks like it's going to be amazing, but there's no urgency on it for me. This one, oh, this one looks like, like a return to form for the legendary Steven Spielberg. It's, it's right in his wheelhouse, if you think about it. You know, it's got the science fiction, it centers on young people, it's got a premise that is simple to sell yet breaming with potential, lots of heart mixed in with ample nostalgia. I mean, that's a Spielberg cocktail right there, and I'm ready to drink it down. So Ready Player One, you know, that new trailer, I think you need to see it. I think this movie needs to be on your radar. If it's not, you are out of your mind. Uh, and that's all I got to say about Ready Player One. And then another one, yeah, the, this, this is another one on the like WTF scale here. Uh, not on my radar, but now I'm uh, suddenly I'm, I'm perked up. That uh, Alita Battle Angel, it's the latest from Robert Rodriguez. Um, you know, it looks interesting. It's definitely very ambitious, and it looks like Rodriguez is trying to explore new storytelling territory. So that has me intrigued. You know, I know, I, I should add, I know nothing about the source material. So I went into the trailer completely cold. I, I think it's a, I think it's based on an anime or a manga or something. I don't know. I don't know that world. I don't know what Alita Battle Angel is. I don't know what it should be. All I know is this trailer, and at this point, I am intrigued in this movie because of this trailer. Um, I can't say it's on my radar. It didn't get bumped up to on my radar, but it's definitely a different kind of animal, and I appreciate the creativity and the ingenuity and the imagination that's going into it, and it's kind of exciting to see Rodriguez sort of exploring new ground as a storyteller. Um, and by the way, you know, since we're talking Rodriguez, um, I found out about an unfortunate passing uh, a couple weeks ago, an actor by the name of Julio Oscar Mechoso. Uh, he appeared in a, in a number of Rodriguez's movies, and I actually had the chance to meet him. Uh, he's one of these character actors who worked diligently for many, many years. We're talking a career that spans 20 plus years, and I feel like he passed away and no one gave a damn. And it just sort of arrived on my doorstep a couple days ago that he passed away on November 25th. And I kind of want to address that for a second. You know, um, you know, he's a Cuban actor, which, you know, I'm Cuban and my family, my, my mother's side of the family is Cuban. And I, I, I remember meeting him on the set of Resurrection Boulevard. You know, my aunt was a lead on the show. And, you know, there was a Showtime series and I happened to be L.A. It'd be in L.A. So she brought me to spend a day on the set, which was amazing in and of itself. It was my first like full day on the set of an actual production. And uh, it was a heavy day. You know, they started production on an episode which included her character getting raped by an old friend. And that old friend was played by guest star Julio Oscar Mechoso. 
And I recognized him from all of his years as a character actor. You know, at that point, you know, he'd been in The Mask of Zorro. He'd been in Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Tortilla Soup, Jurassic Park 3, Bad Boys. You know, he'd been, the guy had been around. And so I was a little bit starstruck, you know. And I remember just he was this very warm, charming, funny guy. And he was very interesting. He was very open, very approachable. I was fascinated by the way he'd been preparing for this guest role on this TV series. By you know, He was trying to understand the psychology of a man who could actually rape a woman. He'd spent weeks reading books about convicted rapists. And he showed me the books. And he spoke to me in depth about some of the where he was trying to go with his portrayal and trying to see how his character would justify his actions. Because remember, he wasn't trying to play a villain. In his, in, the, in his character's mind, you know, she wants this and whatever. I don't want to get into all that. But like, you know, to, 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 I, it, he let me in on his process. And for like a 14-year-old boy who, was, who grew up loving this industry and, and, and wanting to be a storyteller himself, him sort of taking me under his wing and talking about all this stuff, you know, it was just, it was fascinating. It was fascinating to see what a strange headspace everyone on the set, my aunt, the directors, Mechoso, everyone, you know, the, the headspace they had to enter when filming something so cruel and so ugly, it was just very educational for me because I feel like, you know, we watch these things as entertainment and we're sort of detached from it. You know, like, oh, wow, this is very dark to see on TV. But filming it in and of itself is a dark, scary thing to be involved in. And I learned that on that set. Um, and, you know, and he made it, you know, he, he made the education of that so interesting. You know, he was so nice and he was considerate and he respected my aunt. You know, he respected the process and he wanted to make sure everything was handled with great care. You know, it was a, it was a great day. I mean, I, that day, by the way, I also met Tony Blano. He was another one of the uh, leads on the show and he was also an Ugly Betty and all kinds of other. He's another one of these actors who you definitely know by face. And, you know, I got to quote some lines from the Three Amigos with him. I went over to him and I said, would you say that I have a plethora of piñatas? And he responded with the corresponding line. You know, it was it was just a ton of fun. And oh, by the way, on that very, a lot happened that day. Because I also met Lou Diamond Phillips. He happened to be around because he was going to be shooting something. And my 14-year-old self somehow managed to pull together the courage to like hit on Marisol Nichols, the actress who who plays the daughter on that series, who I had first seen in National Lampoon's Vegas Vacation. You know, she was also a, a star on that show. So I like approached her, and I don't remember what I said, but I was just like, "I, Miss Nichols, um, I think you're one of the most beautiful women I've ever met." And I don't know what I said, but she just thought it was very sweet. She patted me on the head and walked away. I mean, she was like 20 and I was 14. I don't know what I was expecting. But, you know, that day was a very wild day in my life that I will never forget. And because of it, I always kept a soft spot in my heart for Julio. And I always cheered him on when I'd see him pop up in something that I was watching. And, you know, he died suddenly two weeks ago at a heart attack at the way too young age of 62. Um, así que, Julio, que descansa en paz. Um, 
And before we get into the conversation with uh, with Rick Shu and Aaron Verola about Star Wars, which is I enjoyed recording this so much last night, and I hope you enjoy it too. I want to hit you guys up with my movie referral of the week. This week's L Fanboy referral. You know, with everyone talking about the disaster artist, I'm reminded of another film about the making of a bad movie. Uh, It's not based on a true story, unlike The Disaster Artist, but it follows the plight of a filmmaker who's low on talent but big on ambition. It's called Bowfinger, and it has an incredible cast. It's it's got Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, Terrence Stamp, Christine Baranski, Jamie Kennedy, Heather Graham, and Robert Downey Jr. pre his big comeback. And, and if you want to like really scratch your head, it's directed by Frank Oz, the voice of Yoda and Miss Piggy. Like what? You know, this movie has, it's just, it, it's, it's, it came out in 1999 and totally flew under the radar of many. I remember speaking to Christine Baranski about that movie while on the set of The Good Wife a few years back. And we both lamented like the lack of love that movie got. The movie's funny, and it's got so many different things going for it. I mean, it's got Eddie Murphy doing that thing he does so well, playing multiple roles. He plays two twin brothers, Kit and Jif Ramsey. One is a megalomaniacal, out-of-touch, A-list superhero, um, you know, a superstar Hollywood actor. And one is like a nerdy, like, twin brother who never went anywhere with his life, and Then you've also got Steve Martin as like a wide-eyed, manipulative con man who actually has good intentions and a good heart. Uh, It skewers Scientology, thanks to the you know the who who Terrence Stamp plays in it. He's part of the whole sort of Scientology esque subplot, and Terrence Stamp is wonderful in this as you know as he's wonderful in everything. And it's also just like a pretty brutal satire of Hollywood culture. So it's a totally underappreciated gem. Go see Bowfinger. That is your referral of the week. But now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Rick Shu and Aaron Verola, which will include Rick Shu's non-spoiler thoughts on Star Wars The Last Jedi, which he was lucky enough to go see yesterday as part of a press screening. So don't worry about spoilers. He saw the movie. He's going to give us his two cents. And then Verola and I are going to sort of pick his brain and we're going to just talk general Star Wars, where we want it to go, what it's meant to us, how it hooked us, all that good stuff. Enjoy. For this special Star Wars Week episode of El Fanboy, I I thought of who are two of the biggest Star Wars fans I know who would be perfect for this episode. So I I went ahead and I I, I contacted two individuals and I cannot wait to have this three-way with you guys. Ooh, that doesn't sound quite right. But uh, one of them... (laughs) One of them you guys have heard. Hey now. <laughs> One of them you've definitely heard from before. He is Rick Shu from the Batman on Film podcast. Rick, how you doing today? 
I'm doing splendid, sir. How are you? Gorgeous. And the other person that we have on with us, he's a longtime listener and supporter. He's been there for, for you know, with El Fanboy since day one. He used to comment on my articles back at Latino Review. Then he used to follow on the Los Fanboys podcast, and he's been literally with me since day one. I even had the pleasure of meeting this fella at the <laughs> Justice League watch party a couple weeks ago. And also, I should note, he's a Patreon patron, so he's kind of the man. But uh, he's uh, he's awesome. He's Mr. Aaron Verola. How you doing, Aaron? Yo, what's going on, man? So How, glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, you, you know, what is your hype level like right now for Star Wars coming out? In dude, if there was a if there was a scale before, you know, beyond ten, dude, yeah. I'm I'm basically like crapping my pants, just <laughs> dying to get to Friday. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, it's nuts. And you're so you're gonna wait till Friday. You're not gonna do like one of these Thursday night preview things. You're gonna be. Uh, I'm an old man, man. I can't make it. Like I, I wish I could. The, the Thursday night stuff I used to do when I was younger, and and uh, I'll do Friday like seven o'clock. I'm leaving work early, so uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I kind of I'm just waiting for the for the crowd energy, man. I can't wait to get in that seat and get yep. everyone hyped. You That's know? why I actually like actively avoided press screenings because usually when something like this comes i'm i'm hounding people to get into a press screening but i'm like you know what i want to see this surrounded by nothing but fans and yeah you know that's my thing but there is someone here in our midst who got to see the movie today lucky screening so rick what are your like non-spoiler feels right now about star wars the last jedi did I, did I say that I saw Star Wars tonight? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, dude. They were showing the John Goodman Flintstones, the original. <laughs> oh, I feel so. You know what? Damn it. I knew I. I yeah, but that would do. I get confused. I just sometimes. the whole Rosie O'Donnell thing just doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Come on, shoe. Give it to us straight. All right. So listen, I'm under embargo for a couple of days, and I know that you guys can appreciate that. Not to mention, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone anyway. Yes. I just happen to be texting Zachy Hassan. Does everybody know Zachy? Huffington mm-hmm. Post film credit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. He's a good friend of mine, and um, he saw it today as well. We were just sort of corresponding about it. And here's our our general feelings, and, I, and I'll speak kind of for both of us because they're, they're the same. It's I, I feel as though it's about 30 minutes, 20 minutes too long. Okay. Um, and I, I think that Maybe when I see it again, I won't feel that way. But like if I could change that about it and I could even choose like two or three sequences that I would just get rid of, it would possibly be the best Star Wars film since Empire. Wow. Right. But it does. Unfortunately, it does. It does drag in this quite a bit. And so it Mm. it loses a lot of momentum for me. But uh, overall, it's one hell of a ride. I mean, and listen, do not expect anything nothing don't go in thinking well so-and-so is going to do this or so-and-so is going to be this person's whatever and this is going to happen here and it's effort it's all out the window because there isn't there isn't anything there's very little that i thought would happen that happened there's one key part that i anticipated and even that was sort of a fragment of anticipation well that's not the right way to phrase it not a fragment of anticipation um it was you were only a fragment right (laughs) yeah well it was like this one of three things are going to happen and it was one of those three things so however however you want to phrase that 
Um, so that was kind of cool to have that moment. That was kind of a, a high five myself moment. But listen, <laughs> it is a it's a beautiful film. And what I really appreciate about it is that Mark Hamill gets to really be an actor again. And as much as I love his Joker, he's mm. just remarkable as the Joker. I mean, you know, and to many of us, he's sort of the definitive Joker. He and yeah. Heath Ledger are to me mm-hmm. as far as mm-hmm. on film and live action film, animation, whatever. Um, but he is, it's his best performance as Luke by far. Wow. And I, he, he's going to, I think this is going to open a lot of doors for him. I, I think he's going to be like starring in a Tarantino film next year. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Was it Ryan Johnson, I think, uh, during filming said something like, this is the role that will get Mark Hamill an Oscar. I remember reading something like that a couple of while ago. Is it it that hefty? I think it was JJ that said that. Oh, okay, okay. And and regardless, neither here or there. Um, Listen, I'm I'm sort of the wrong person to ask because I, I hate the Oscars anyway. I don't like anything. You know, right? I'm not... How to be? How to judge someone as best actor is always weird to me. So I don't know. I listen. His performance is good as anything that I've seen this year. It's it's a strong performance. Are there enough moments in it to carry a best actor award? I, who knows? But all I do know is this: is that he is phenomenal, and I and I think people are really going to be impressed. And 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 I think we're going to look at him as not this tr- two trick pony, two nice. trick pony. Yes, it's Luke. But this ain't your mama and daddy's Luke, boys. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad no, to hear I'll that. Be, I'll, and I'll just I'll leave it at that. That's sort of to be expected anyway, right? Yeah, right. but but you know what it is? A lot of times people kind of give Hamill like the short end of the stick. Like they kind of say like, you know, he's a great voice actor, but of the original, like the core three in the original trilogy, that he wasn't necessarily the best actor of the bunch or whatever. But, you know, I'm glad to hear it sounds like he really gets to stretch those muscles and kind of show us, all, you know, all new layers of Luke in this. Yeah, and what I'm also looking forward to seeing again is getting past watching Carrie Fisher's last performance and knowing that she's uh, unfortunately yeah. no longer with us. Yeah, I had to. Sh- you have to shake that because it's there's a few scenes that are particularly hard, and so uh, I'm going to see it again on Thursday, and I'm lo- I'm looking forward to just watching her performance as just a, a, an artist doing mm-hmm. her doing her thing, as yeah. opposed to going, oh man, she's not with us, she died. Oh, this yeah. this looks, this is weird. There's a lot of that. So looking forward to not having that on my shoulders again. Listen, guys, I hope I don't come across like I'm disappointed. I'm not at all. Look, there's I don't I don't really ever expect to like a Star Wars movie better than Empire. I just really don't. And so I don't I don't want ever that to be sort of the barometer. I mean, hell, I like the prequels and they're not anywhere near <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. But with that said, um, it is a little too long and there's a couple other quibbles that probably will not put it in my top three, but you know, it's episode eight and it's a director and writer that's never done a star Wars film Mm -hmm. and it's wild new things that happen. And it, it, it really deserves a lot of praise and I bet it's going to be a huge hit. And again, I I bet I fall more in love with it every time I see it too. I just, I have that feeling. Yeah. 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 I was reading some reactions from some folks from Twitter and they were saying, Oh man, the second time, third time, it just gets better and better. Um, so, hey, I'm hoping to get to see it at least five times. <laughs> so, R- Ricardo, I, I, I got to ask you something, but uh, go go Please. ahead. What do you got to no, say? No, no, no. 
I was just, I'll go on for 20 minutes. Ask, please, sir. (laughs) No, I just, like, my burning question, and this won't spoil anything, just my burning question for a while is so many people felt that Force Awakens was a rehash, right? That it it felt a lot like A New Hope and whatever. Does this feel, because you remember, it was a big concern, like, is this going to feel like a rehash of Empire Strikes Back? Mm -hmm. So that's my question. Does this feel like it's Empire just with different clothes on it? No, in fact, not at all. There's one sequence that I won't even reference what it's what it's about. That's a little too similar to a big sequence that happens in Return of the Jedi. That was a little uh, not almost annoying. Annoying is a strong word, but, you know, it's certainly I noticed it. But mm-hmm. other than that, this thing just oozes with originality. In fact, to to give the prequels credit, this is the most uh, original Star Wars film since really the prequels, because regardless of anyone's thoughts on those films, of execution or whatever, they certainly were not particularly Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Those things were not trying to be anything like any of the other films. That's and I applaud, I applaud Lucas for that. And uh, so, no, not at all. So we can other put than, to rest the, the concerns that this is just Empire redone. It's not anything like Empire. And, and, and my first initial reaction after the first 15 minutes, that was actually a little disappointing at first. And then, and then I started to appreciate that it wasn't. It look, I'm, I've been on a wild. I didn't walk out not liking it. In fact, I walked out loving it. I just walked out not knowing how the hell to react because it just didn't do what I thought it was going to do. It just took me on this completely different route and and um, characters and people that you think you know here and there and what have you. It's it's like real life, man. Listen, I will say this. There was one great, great Twitter reaction, I believe. Uh, I can't remember who said it. it might have been someone from Collider, but if not, whatever, I'm going to paraphrase it anyway. And they essentially said, this is the first Star Wars film that isn't about growing up, but actually it's about growing old. And that's a very mm. poignant, it's a very poignant mm. statement. And as a person who is Looking at, you know, I'm staring down now at 43 and, you know, all those things. It's also it resonates with me as well, particularly since I grew up with these damn films. I saw the original Star Wars in the theater, mm-hmm. albeit it was the re-release in like 1980 when it was actually deemed episode four because it wasn't originally episode four. It was just Star Wars yeah. uh, for the first three years of its existence. But um, but still, I, I grew up with these films and to have this film be at my age it's almost like this it's like this the original trilogy was made for its time the prequels were made for a younger generation younger than than me and then i almost feel like this these new set of films particularly this one was made like for me i'm the 40 something year old guy that grew up on these films and this is like a love letter to me and my life and you know how things can change and yeah, it's, well, in a way, it makes sense because the guys making them, like if you look at J.J. Abrams and you look at Ryan Johnson, these are people who grew up on the Star Wars mythology. I think, I mean, they're a little older than you, but it's it's the same idea of they're approaching these stories as adults. So, you know, that's going to make this new trilogy, you know, a slightly more grown up affair. I would, you know, I, I'm thinking. Sure. And you know what? Just sitting here, just talking to you guys, just sort of freestyling. And, and by the way, forgive any sort of choppiness. I'm. I'm walking that fine line of not being able to say anything specific. <laughs> no, no, it's hard. That's fine. Dude, don't it's, worry, it's, man. I've got it, snipers it, on you right now. You know what I mean? It's hard. <laughs> I, I want to. I keep catching myself. I can't imagine what it must have been like for that for the cast 
doing the PR and everything for this film. Yeah, were Not there me. any standouts in the cast? Anyone who jumped out like, wow, you know, I'm much more invested in this character now, or I was surprised, you know, like, like, of, of the new roster of Star Wars stars, did anyone really kind of like surprise you? Yes, I actually agree with John Campy. I'm really not that crazy about Finn's story or his arc or anything, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that again. But listen, guys, Kylo and Ray, they steal the show. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Poe Dameron steals the show. <laughs> we have three show stealers in a single. That's, they, that's a lot they, of theft. They, they, they steal the show. It was well, a two and a half hour movie, so there's yeah. pl- plenty to steal. Any wasted characters? I mean, I've heard a lot of talk about the Rose character and and sort of the arc that she and Finn go on. Is that is that really worth it? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I get this weird feeling that you know that maybe Ryan wasn't hundred percent sure what to do with Finn. And yeah. so they manufactured, I don't want to say manufactured. It's, it's it, that sounds too negative. It's not, it's not terrible. It's just, you got to give them something to do. Listen, if, if I'll be honest with you, if it wasn't a two and a half hour movie, I don't think that his storyline would, would, it probably would have been more enjoyable, mm-hmm. but two and a half hours is a long time for a film. And for a two and a half hour film, it really needs to like, just be hitting on all cylinders for, or 90% of the movie, because that's a long time to sit in a chair. Yeah. And, um, it just is, I don't, you know, it just, it just is. So, right. yeah, I think I could, I could o- omit some of that stuff, but, uh, but he's, but he's Finn, he's gotta be in it. Right. I mean, he, right. yeah. He was- so look, before we move on to some other, you know, star Wars related subject matter, uh, I, I want to steer us away from the review portion of this since we can't really go any further because we're not talking spoilers. So what would be your final say as of now as like what a letter grade would be for Star Wars The Last Jedi? Mm, I think saying that it's against embargo, actually. So I better oh. not. Yeah, I better not. Yeah, it just is like I'm thinking I'm thinking about it. Like I'm not actually that's giving it. That's technically giving. I was about to disconnect anyways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> OK, but you know what? Positive. To be honest, to, to be honest with you, it's it's hard for because I, I, I need to see it again, because I it, unlike any Star Wars film I've seen ever, this one's taking more to digest. And that's that may ultimately be a really positive thing. And I think it's going to be. Um Right now, I would say it's probably my fifth favorite. If I had, I'll, I'll put it to you like I'll say it like that. I'll skate around. That's my little loophole. All right, so give me give, give me your top five rank, and let's see what what, what you think is better than this one. Uh, in order, and I, I might get I might get uh, killed on online for well, suggesting you're used to it. A, a prequel would be in this category, but it just is for me. Empire Strikes Back, A New Hope, Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, Last Jedi. Wow. Mm. Okay. All right. And then, and then below that would be the Force Awakens and Return of the Jedi as a dead heat. And I love all of those films, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I'll put Attack of the Clones, which I think is underrated because it's good and, and people hate it, and I don't understand that. Is you know, I never will. And then, of course, the Phantom Menace. You can't. You just can't let the Jar Jar shenanigans um, give it more than a C C plus grade. Can't. Can't do it. Well now just, I'm now I'm just gonna make a clickbait post that reads Rick Shoe says <laughs> Last Jedi worse than the prequels. <laughs> <laughs> worse it's not as great as one prequel. Yeah, I know. Listen, I'm, I'm referring to clickbait. Right? <laughs> I know, Come I know, I know. I'm just, 
I'm just kidding. So, and you know what? That might change, guys. I, I'll see it mm. Thursday and Sunday. You talk to me on Monday. I'm like, you know what? F all that noise. It's number two, dude. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. well, it I can mean, happen. I liked Justice League more the second time I saw it. So who knows? But anyway, we're not going to get into Justice uh, League right now. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. Um, now, Rick, you mentioned earlier something about. Wait, like, did uh, you did you did you go see Justice League at the theater? Yeah. I saw so Justice you were... League in theaters with Aaron and a few yeah. other listeners. Okay. And then I saw it again with just a buddy of mine last week just to kind of see, you know, after a couple of weeks of digesting how it sits with me now. And I actually like it better. But we're not doing that. We're not well, doing that. What, what, what you just ruined, I just I was trying to, like, set up a joke. I was oh. going to say, did you did you see Justice League in the theater? You were just supposed to say yes. And I was going to say, oh, you were the one. Uh, then you then you went on this thing and it just kind of well now i have to click the edit button because (laughs) wow okay all right i'm sorry go ahead sir uh you mentioned that you know you got to see uh star wars in theaters and it sounds like that's when your fandom began and that's something i wanted to talk a little bit about today with having the two of you on you know in terms of like what star wars means to us and where and when it was that your fandom really began with this property because like for me personally i didn't get to see any of these in the you know the original trilogy in theaters at the time i was born in 83 so i was only one when return of the jedi came out right it came out in 84 if i'm not mistaken no it was 83 oh 83 so yes i i totally i have a built-in excuse i couldn't see them (laughs) in theaters so yeah, for me it was later on, and I, you know, I'm not going to get into my story right now, but I want to ask you guys, like Aaron, I'm going to put you on the spot. All right. Can you sort of isolate or crystallize where you were or what it was? You know, was it a movie? Was it a video game? Was it an action figure? Like, what was it that pulled you into Star Wars and and got its sort of mitts on you for all this time? Yeah, dude, it was Yoda. It, I mean, I remember um, when we used to live in the Bronx way back when and my dad had this like do you remember the old school vcrs that had the remote with the cable attached to it like you couldn't actually oh yeah like the yeah like so the it was clicker like, yeah so it was like one of those um and i remember him bringing home like a like a bootleg <laughs> version of uh empire strikes back and it was actually the whole trilogy and I just remember seeing this little green guy on the on the TV screen and getting caught up in that. And I remember getting really freaked out at the scene where Luke goes into the cave and then he fights, faces off with Vader and he cuts off his head and then the mask gets, explodes and it's Luke's face. And I was like, what the hell? I remember just like struggling with that as yeah, a child. Yeah, how old were you, would you say? Oh, Roughly. man, I was probably like five, four or five maybe. Um, and that's like the moment for you. So when you think yeah. back, like my Star Wars fandom began it, in front of my TV at home watching yep, with my dad back with yeah with my father yeah yeah nice. and the whole hand hand cutting scene so whew, and man the robot hand I bet you were obsessed <sighs> I was obsessed with that as a kid Squeak me out man yeah what about you Rick what, what yeah, was it when you went to see it in eighty yes and no so um, I say I have a sister that's five years older than I am and. She uh, really introduced me to things in pop culture probably before I would have naturally, you know what I'm saying, just by virtue of having an older sister that you also admired. Plus, she always had like girlfriends and boyfriends that were even older than her. So here I was at five or whatever. There were, you know, 13, 14 year olds influencing me and things (laughs) I listened to and liked. But what made me fall in love with Star Wars was we had a vinyl 
the soundtrack, the oh, John Williams soundtrack man, of the original that. film. And we would put the record on and yeah. we would click these disco lights in her room totally like right out of the seventies. <laughs> and like, I mean, I'm not kidding, like a disco light. And, um, I would just get lost in the music and you know, the, the score, especially a great score is a major character in a oh, film. Absolutely. If not yeah. care, if not characters, right. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, that's when I fell in love with star Wars guys was my sister's LP, her vinyl, I'm thinking I'm, I'm thinking I'm using the right verbiage here. The vinyl yeah. LP, yeah, yeah, and the record, and it was uh, I would just get lost in that record. And That's unbelievable. So you, you, uh, it's not even so there wasn't even a visual. It was just you were listening to it, and you're there in your sister's room, and the lights are going, and just the music alone. You were like, I love this uh, <laughs> music in my imagination, and to be fair, some Star Wars posters, you know, like yeah, console, yeah. Emily, yeah. I bet the liner and, notes are pretty cool. Yeah, I bet they are. If I could, I, w- I wonder if my sister even has that still. But dude, I have also, the vinyl. Yeah, you have the vinyl, and I have and, the vinyl, yeah. and and Carrie Fisher was my first, <laughs> my first crush, and uh, and she, you know, I, I was five and going, I like her. I don't know what that even what that means, you know, whatever. And um, but anyway, so that's and so I and then my mother took me to see Star Wars. They re-released the film after the success of it and to a larger audience. And then, and then, you know, 20th century Fox let Lucas do whatever the hell he wanted to at that point. So at that juncture, he added episode four to um, the crawl. And so therefore he could sort of tell the stories in the way he wanted to, because obviously he was going to get sequels. So she took me to see that because I was a little young in 76, 77, I was three or four, but at this point I was, I'm five. And so I remember it. But the thing I really remember is going to see Empire. And at this point, I knew the original soundtrack. It's like I wasn't a musician, but I felt like I could just play every <laughs> instrument, every song. And we went to see Empire, and I'm standing in line, waiting on our tickets, just, you know, kind of like can't sit still. I can't stand, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm moving, my, moving my feet like I'm jogging in place. And I just was in awe of that film. I mean, everything about it. Uh, I just, uh, you know, you talked about... Um, uh, Aaron, you referenced earlier about the Dagobah and him cutting off Vader's head and yeah. and all that. I mean, all that stuff was so intriguing and mysterious and just freaking awesome. And by the way, and I'll just say this, there are a lot of, of those elements in this new film that I haven't seen since that. And so in that regard, there's some Empire S stuff. And so I just want to say that just be prepared to be blown away by a lot of things in The Last Jedi. But back to Empire. So that's that's really where it started was sort of the original uh, time I went to see Star Wars in the theater, but more so the music and then leading into Empire's... Uh, oh, I, I think we went to see it like opening day to opening weekend. Nice. And, and would you say like once your fandom began... Has it pretty much stuck with you ever since, or have you sort of fallen in and out of love with the series over the years, or has it kind of been a constant for you, Rick? Uh, that's a good question, because, you know, after Jedi, I'm in third or fourth grade at that point, and uh, I had the toys, and there were some, you know, cartoons, there was an Ewok thing that was on Saturday mornings, and there were, there were, there were things that sort of held your attention, but it wasn't like it was now, you didn't have, you know, you didn't have all these stations, you didn't, yeah. you didn't have endless outlets, you certainly didn't have the internet, yeah. And so it naturally just sort of petered off, right? And then you get older, you revisit them because it also took a while. Like those things weren't even out on VHS for many years. And then they finally came around to being released and I owned them and I would watch them. But really what rejuvenated it was the uh, 
the, the special editions in 97. Yeah. Yeah. And I was in college when those started. And, uh, man, those were, that was, that's what really, from that point on, from like probably, let's say Jedi was 83, I probably started losing some interest in like 88. Mm-hmm. But by 97, right back in it, and I haven't looked back since. How about you, Mr. Varola? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I um, When the special editions came out um, in 97, so I was, I was in high school, um, I remember them being – I was not in, into it as much as I was when I was a kid. Um, um, and a friend of mine, actually, I remember his father also bringing home like a laser disc of the, of the movies back in the day. It was like a special box set or something. So I remember watching it then and I was maybe like in – eighth grade and i was like oh, yeah, i've seen these movies like whatever um it hit me again like a ton of bricks when uh when the prequels rolled out i remember seeing a trailer with darth maul in it and it was like star wars you know and it's like this new the new movies and i was getting I, I remember this like it was yesterday i was uh um going for college getting ready for college and it was going on a uh, getting my my physical or whatever so i hadn't eaten all day and I had to get blood taken. And uh, I go to the – I was driving home. I was like, I got to get some food. Let me stop off at McDonald's. And I saw, oh, my God, they've got pre-sale tickets for The Phantom Menace. So I'm like, screw this food stuff. <laughs> let, let me go. Let me go grab these tickets. I waited online for like four hours. I ended up passing out online because I had like nothing in my system. Um, still got my tickets. And it was like <laughs> – Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. I mean people were picking me up like, oh, do you want to go to the hospital? You're all right. You look a little flush. <laughs> no, Phantom like, Menace. Give me a Coke. <laughs> give me some Coke. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> wow. That's that's yeah. quite a story. Yeah, so so from that point on, you, you'd say you've been back in? It's like Cujo. I'm foaming at the mouth for it all the time. <laughs> I know, I know. And, and listen, I know you've been dying for me to like finally switch gears over into Star Wars, and that's what I'm doing this week. I know the last few weeks for you okay. have been torture with all the DC and Justice League postmortem. It's just, <laughs> it's just th- that whole situation is the gift that keeps on giving people. Oh, it doesn't you know, stop. It doesn't man. stop. It, it doesn't stop. But I'm, I'm so glad we're getting to talk a little Star Wars today. Uh, for me. <laughs> I, I bet you felt like you were going to pass out and dehydrate waiting for me to finally not talk about Justice League. But, and you um, still brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, so for me, personally, it's funny. My my fandom, like, probably didn't fully begin until, like, 91. And even then, it was more like a peripheral thing. I had, I had grown up sort of aware of the movies. I had seen them on TV. I knew my father loved them. And I, you know, I, I kind of knew of them, but then in like 91, I had an experience at school that I mentioned in the intro earlier that I'm not going to bore you guys with, but like, I didn't even get to see the whole thing straight through at that time. It was Return of the Jedi. And I just remember being blown away by the imagination of it all. And really what it did for me was made me want to get all the toys. See, I was, a, I, I was yeah. big on toys. I didn't have any brothers or sisters. I didn't have a big circle of friends growing up. I was kind of like a sheltered city boy in my room all the time with my action figures <laughs> kind of making up my own stories. So I remember when I, after seeing Return of the Jedi at school, I was like, I want all these toys. And I went and got all the action figures and I had an mm. AT-AT walker and I got a couple of ships. Oh, and I would just sort of like use my own imagination and create Star Wars scenarios in my room. 
And I would also get the Super Star Wars games on Super Nintendo and Super Empire Strikes mm -hmm. Back. They had that whole Super trilogy. And so it's funny. It's like a lot of my love of Star Wars came from the toys and the video games. And then my actual love of the films themselves didn't start until 97 when the special editions came out. Because then my dad, you know, started making a big deal out of like, oh, I have to take you to go see these. I yeah. saw them when they were in theaters. I remember what these meant to me. So now it's time for you to go experience these movies the way I did. And so really, even though I had technically been a fan since I was a small child, it wasn't until 97 when I got to see them in all their glory from start to finish next to my dad, who was a super fan, where all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this is this is everything, you know. And now here yeah. I am 20 years later and like I, it, it's it's never left me since that point. So that's kind of been like the track of my Star Wars fandom. Mm. Um so now, let me just kind of ask, like, let, let's go back in time a little bit. You, you find out that Disney has bought Lucasfilm, and they're going to make a new <laughs> trilogy. Remember, the, the, the announcement was like a whopper, because it, it, it hit yeah. up on so many different levels. It was Disney has bought Lucasfilm. Bam. They're making a new trilogy. Bam. Mark yeah. Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford are expected to return. Bam. So... Let's start with you, Rick. When that news broke, what was your like gut response? That Han will die. <laughs> <laughs> and I swear oh to you that God. I'm not. I'm not even trying to be funny when I say that. I was excited. I was like, "Yes, Han Solo's dead." And I was with a buddy of mine, and we were talking about. He said, like, "You think?" I said, "There is absolutely no way that Harrison Ford agreed to come back to this unless they're going to kill him off." off yeah. it's, it's going. It's going to happen, and it did. And that's okay because it did serve the story. And I think that's ultimately what what Harrison Ford wanted anyway. And to be fair, Han Solo was reduced to, you know, he was Return of the Jedi Han Solo was not a New Hope Empire Han Solo. He he lost his edge. He was yeah. just sort of there. Not to say he didn't have moments or anything. He, he was still Han Solo, but it just... I, I can understand why he was going to Lucas going, eh, shouldn't this guy like have a good send off and, you know, have a suicide mission for the, for the, for the rebel Alliance or whatever. You know what I mean? So you went and, straight for cynicism. You hear this earth shattering announcement and you go, oh, okay, Han Solo's going to die. See, here's what I will say. <laughs> I went to realism and I was still happy. And here's the thing. If you can, if you can take something that and say, uh, this is the reality of it. But I'm still excited for it. For it, to me, that is true optimism because you're not, you don't have blinders on. You know what I'm saying? Like I was yeah. still excited, even though, and I'm halfway just kind of messing with you here. But, yeah. I, but, but, and I'm having, trying to have fun with you. But it is a, but it is true. Like all joking aside, I, I, I that's no, no BS. I thought, okay, yeah, he's he's going to kill him off, <laughs> and uh, and he did, and that was. I'm not kidding. That was my first thought. But yeah. then I was like, he's going to kill him off. Cool, whatever. Just bring him back. He wanted to kill him off in Jedi anyway. I'm just excited. I never had any kind of weird uh, apprehensions about Disney yeah. uh, buying Lucasfilms because I knew they were smart enough to keep Lucasfilm still right. Lucas. It wasn't like it was going to be Walt Disney Pictures presents Star Wars. You know, it was. Um, and look, Kathleen Kennedy. I already had uh, faith in her. And forgive me if that wasn't part of the initial announcement with her. That might have came later. I can't remember. But regardless, when I knew about her, it also just reinforced everything that I knew that we were in good hands. And look, she is three for three so far. Oh, I mean, absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw Jedi today. It's, yeah. Despite you know needing to see it again to get a yeah. full whatever, yeah, da, da, I, it's it's still a great freaking movie. There's no question about that. And How, so, yeah, yeah. How about just, you, Aaron? Um, I, I mean, I was a little scared. I'm not even gonna lie. Um, I, the first thing I was looking for is like how involved is George Lucas in any of this? Because I mean, I felt nothing but scorn after the prequels. Um, I think scorn from scorn from you, or you felt scorn upon him from others? Um, no, from me. I, I was I, I after like dissecting and watching the prequels over and over again. I was like, these are some of the weakest movies. I've ever oh, seen. I feel like you two are about to go at it, but that, yeah, we're about let's sidestep that. But, but, and, and, and I mean, I think the thing was, uh, uh, have you guys ever seen, uh, this guy, I think his name, Mr. Plinkett of, uh, red letter or red envelope media or something like that. Um, no. this dude does this incredible dissection of the prequels and just the writing structure of those movies. I'll forward it to you after, but, but it's, it's really, really good stuff. Like it, it literally, I think it's, it's probably about six hours long because he goes through each each one oh, wow. of the, uh, the prequels, but it's it's awesome. I bet uh, you Rick will want to fight him, but keep answering. <laughs> but uh, no, no. But anyways, I mean, um, after I found out uh, he wasn't writing it, I was I was like, all right, cool. No, it sounds good. I didn't have any fear about um, Disney being involved at all. Uh, I, I share Rick's feelings about Han Solo biting the dust because I know a lot about the backstory um with his character in the previous movie so i was like okay if he's coming back he's definitely going out and then i was trying to figure out okay like who's you know this character's child like what's the story here how much of the um of the extended universe are they going to kind of tap into and and then i think during the same time they they kind of got rid of all of that they turned all of the extended universe into legends and then yeah said none of you know nothing that were in the previous books will will pop up you know, as it does in, in the, in that kind of candidate, it, it's all sort of out there now. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. It got me really excited to see what else they could come up with. Okay. Cause he, I asked that because, you know, there are people out there who heard about this announcement and they instantly went to like, Oh, this is just a cash grab. Can't they just leave star Wars alone? Well, you know, now Disney's going to ruin it. And this is all just, you know, they, they went straight, straight to a jaded place and <clears throat> something I'm, I've, I just, I feel like, has to be said is these movies so far, as Rick said, they're three for three. You know, yeah. I haven't even seen Last Jedi yet, but you know, I, I can tell that a lot of care and a lot of thought went into this movie, and that these definitely are not cash grabs. Like th- these are movies that are made with a lot of love, and yeah. I think that that's worth noting. You know what I mean? Because right now, it's you know, there are franchises where like, it just seems like the, the sequels come off an assembly line. You know, and it's like, it's just more of the same and we're just going to run this idea into the ground and we're going to make our money and we're going to run with it. But Star Wars, considering like an entire generation or perhaps a few generations of filmmakers, you know, have Star Wars in their DNA from growing up on it. You know, there's so much love for this mythology and for these characters. And I feel like even in these films, even if you dislike some of them, even if you have an issue with Force Awakens or even if Rogue One, whatever, you know, you can't deny that there is like love on that screen, that there's, you know, there is um, a reverence for this mythology that I I just I feel like it oozes off the screen with everything we've seen in this new wave of Star Wars films. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. I mean, I I even think outside of the films, all of the work that they're pouring into sort of building 
the universe of Star Wars, everything from, you know, from the books to, you know, Rebels, the TV shows, to the Clone Wars, all of that stuff that they've been weaving um, is just continuing to expand that universe and tell different stories. And, um, you know, I'm so stoked to see what Ryan Johnson comes up with with his new trilogy, because there's just a lot of things he can he can play with and, and yeah. come up with on his own. I mean, it's like the world is his oyster. Let him have it. Go for it. Yeah. So now now, Rick, now kind of circling back to the fact that you've seen it you know, now you've gotten a taste of what Ryan Johnson can do with the Star Wars license in his hands. So now, based on what you've seen, how are you feeling about this new trilogy that he's been tasked with sort of, you know, creating? Well, you know, it's hard to get my head wrapped around that right now, to be completely honest with you, because yeah. there's so there's so much on the horizon before. Here's what I will say, and it's truly the last thing that I'll say about episode eight is right now I'm thinking, what in the hell happens in episode nine? And I think we'll all sort of feel that way. And it's uh, and maybe not in the same sort of spirit that you normally would. And we'll talk more. Maybe maybe like take that comment, put it in your back pocket. We'll talk yeah. about that after you see the movie. Mm. So um, so I, I'm, I'm almost more uh, interested in that. I'm coming out of my skin to see what the hell Ron Howard's going to do with this solo film. Huh. And, and, and damn it, there better be this Obi-Wan movie that's rumored to be made. And Ewan McGregor is not in it. I'm going to march the streets of Burbank. <laughs> so uh, the new trilogy is so far away. Uh, it's so hard to almost, dare I say, care. I, I'll say this because I, I do want to give you an answer because I just gave you kind of a politician's answer. I sort of uh, avoided your question, but I, I don't. I I don't know. I, I I look. He's an amazing filmmaker, and what he did with uh, his chapter eight of the of the Skywalker saga is is remarkable. So I think we're in good hands. And what okay. he does with it, where he goes, I have no idea. And there's so many years, but and so yeah, many. Yeah, I, I don't even want to know what, where you think he'll go. I just want to basically know, like you know given this you know world to work within does it seem like he has a good grip on it and like he could you know he could tell a good story set in that galaxy far far away or did, Absol- you know, go ahead yeah absolutely and i want to see him i think it's interesting for him to be the person that doesn't do star wars films under the skywalker yeah. family tree and I, I I think he's the right person for that job, no doubt about it. Mm. Okay. okay. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a question for you. Do, so, um, having seen the movie, is there any trepidation on what J.J. Abrams has to pick up after Episode Eight for to close nine? Yes. Oh fuck! More so, than I can even fucking say. Like in oh, terms of like, do make, you think it's making like they my head, it's making my head spin. Now, oh. do you think that they like they, they they quartered themselves a little bit with eight, or it's just it's going to be a tough act to follow in some of the with some of these plot points how they've set them up? I envy them for not wanting to change um, Carrie Fisher's destiny in eight after her untimely passing. They wanted to keep her performance intact, right? Yeah. And uh, there, there's also some other things that take place that make sense why that wouldn't happen. I, don't, I, don't, I was probably saying too much there. So, uh, but with that said, she is gone. And in addition to the things that already transpire, the things, the events that already occur, and then on top of that, 
So it's like I'm watching it at the end. I'm like, well, then what happens here in this? And then, oh, gosh, and then she's actually deceased. What in the oh, hell? Man. What in the hell is Nine going to be about? And um, and that could, and again, that could be, I know nobody at, nobody at Lucasfilm is happy that she's gone on a multitude of reasons, for a multitude of reasons. So I'm not, what I'm about to say does not suggest that. I am just saying that I think J.J. Abrams is certainly up for uh, that challenge. And it's probably why, what was the guy that was directing it? Trevor? Trevin, uh, Trevorrow. Trevorrow, yeah. Yeah, Colin uh, Trevorrow. Tre- thank you. My guess is that's probably why he's not there anymore. Because the movie he was going to do is <laughs> fundamentally different now. It has to be. Mm. Oh man, I see. I'm so intrigued. <laughs> oh man, now uh, I mean, listen. Friday yeah. already couldn't come soon enough, but now you gotta call like... me. You gotta call me as soon as you see it, and like, and put this, and and please, Aaron, get my number when we go off mic here, and and text me, call me because I'd love to talk to you as well. And by the time I talk to you guys, I'll have seen it again myself. And there's just so much to talk about. I mean, it is. I. I I can only imagine if this was 1983, 84 again, whatever, and there was no like answering machines or cell phones or even be, <laughs> and you saw it on a Friday, and all you were waiting is to get back to school on Monday morning so you could talk to your friends about. It. <laughs> yeah, that's how yeah. that's how this feels right now. I want I want uh, I want you guys to see it so we can chat. Yeah. Right. Now now looking forward a little bit in terms of these like spinoffs and whatnot, um, you know, so the, there's obviously we've got the solo movie. Which I've been very vocally, pretty much against. I've been I've been shitting all over this solo movie pretty much since they announced <laughs> it. Um, but rather than beat my own dead horse again, you know, hashtag Nolo. Um, <laughs> like Rick, what wh- what do you think about this Han Solo thing? Do you want to see it happen? Do you are are you interested in this movie that is supposedly going to arrive in five months? I think it's going to. I, th- I I was at. I took my daughters to see Coco the other day, which is freaking awesome, by the way. But um, it is. It is. It's it's fabulous. Uh, a little much for a three year old. My six year old loved it though. Three year old <laughs> was kind of scared. But anyway, but at the theater there was a poster for Solo, and it was no, coming. I know. I know. I know coming May, and so the Lucasfilm is putting the marketing stuff out there. It's it's. They won't put that out there if it's not. They're ready for it now. To answer your question. Look, I'll be honest with you. This could be their first misfire, and I'm I'm nervous about it. That's Ron Howard, I feel. Ron Howard's great, but what has he done great in the last several years? I don't like yeah. the Dan Brown films, and I like those books. I love Angels and Demons. It's yeah. a fantastic novel, and the movie sucked. He butchered that book. Sucked. Da Vinci Code was even worse as a movie. So, uh, so he's been you know a little bit of a misfire as of late, and uh, but he's done some amazing films. Beautiful Mind is still just a masterpiece. There's a lot. I mean, I could go down to Parenthood. I mean, come on. He's, he's got Apollo a lot of great. Apollo 13. Apollo yeah. 13. Yeah. He's, he's a very talented filmmaker. Hashtag Willow. I, I, Willow. Thank <laughs> oh, you. yeah. I, I'm just scared, guys, that does anybody give a shit to see anyone play Han Solo other than Harrison Ford? I mean, I, really. I mean, I mean, that's yeah. a big part of my beef with it, you know. And uh, what purpose is what purpose? Is, I was going to say, what purpose is this movie going to serve? Is this- yeah, the, the, you took the words right out of my mouth. I'm like, who, you know, does anyone really want to see this? Are, are there any lingering questions anyone had about Han Solo that we needed a movie for? You know, the Rogue One thing, 
even though you know it it's it it skated a little too close to episode four for me in terms of the narrative. I wish there was it was something a little more on its own. It still sort of answered, you know, it still kind of gave us some insight into things we had no clue about. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they took that one line from the scrawl and made a whole movie out of it. And it, 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 in a certain way, it enhanced episode four. But with this solo thing, I'm like, is there really, was anybody asking for this? Does anybody need this movie? Uh, Aaron, where are you at it these days? Where, where are you at with it? Yeah, so the, the heart that beats forever Star Wars is will embrace it just because it's a Star Wars flick. But my mind is like, I'm, I'm asking the same kind of questions. Um, I don't. I, I cannot get out of my mind looking at that dude's face, whatever's in Alden, Aaron Reich, yeah. the actor's name, and think and, and think that I'm not going to be comparing him to, to Harrison Ford at all. And yeah. and Donald Glover, you know, kudos on his uh, on his award last year, whatever. I'm going to be doing the same with him and Billy D. Williams. It's like I can't shake those iconic characters from my brain and look at somebody else who might be potentially doing an impression. Yeah, and that's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem with doing a film like this about adult versions of these characters who we already met as adults. Yeah. You know, had they pushed the timeline back further, and this was a teenage soul, I've said this like 89,000 times, but, you know, Rick, with you on, just so you know, like what my beef is, had they made this like a teenage Han Solo, then I could, I could, I'd be more willing to kind of go there with them. You know, you hire a younger actor yeah. and these are more about his formative years, how he be, you know, became the lovable scoundrel. We know him. You know, we know we now know him to be. How did he go, you know, fall into the uh, the smuggling trade and all this sort of stuff? You know, that would have been cool. But this, you know, Alden Ehrenreich is already pushing 30. He's 28. Harrison Ford was 37 in A New Hope. So these are both, you know, it, for all intents and purposes, it's the same adult f- solo. So to have a guy who looks nothing like Harrison, this is just going to be it's going to be jarring. This is going to be too much for me to want to, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt and take that leap with them. I really need to see some footage. They need to. Yeah. And look, unlike The Force Awakens and Rogue One, they were reintroducing the franchise, The Force Awakens. I, I see why they couldn't do. Uh, you know, they could they couldn't promote the films at the same time. That would have been mm-hmm. very confusing. It's not that way now. They, they can put a Han Solo uh, teaser out with with the Last Jedi, and no one's going to think that. And I'm weird. hoping they will this week. I, I'm hoping we, we're surprised on Thursday night when the theater starts. You know, when, when the theatrical run begins, and there all of a sudden is a solo teaser. Because I'm shocked we haven't seen. You think? Yet. I don't. I don't, I don't know. know about that. I, I, mean, I, think, I guess we I think would have heard about it, it by now. January. Yeah. Well, the fact that but, we have posters up is a good sign. Um, posters with no good... pictures of the actors, by the way. They're still like keeping everything under lock and key. It's just words on a screen. This is true. Yeah. I, I don't know. And then you. And then you know, there's the uh, the Obi One thing. I mean, so that... it sounds like you're excited about it, Rick. <sighs> That's not confirmed yet. I mean, I mean, it is, but it's well, not. I mean, 100%. they hired a director. You know, so that well, but again, but Lucasfilm still hasn't confirmed that yet. So yeah. I want Lucasfilm to confirm that. And yes, I think that it would be great. And I'll be honest with you, I think he can face Vader in this as well. Yeah. And <laughs> and I think yeah. he should. I think yeah. he should. Oh and 
But then won't that take away from some of the power of when Obi-Wan no. runs into no. him in episode no. four? Kristen Chris, Chris Harloff. Yeah. I want to I want, I want, I want hug this guy. And I, and, I, and then, by the way, if he's listening, I've been, I've been trying to get on Jedi Council forever just as a guest he's guy. Awesome. But, <laughs> but anyway, he is awesome. And he brought up a great point. He said, think about in Jedi when um, Luke and Vader are talking, it's right before he takes him up to see the Emperor. He's so, you constructed a new lightsaber or whatever. He said, you know, they're still good in you, Father. I can feel it. He's like, Obi-Wan once thought the way you did. And Kristen Harloff's like, he did? When was that? Yeah. When did that happen? And you know what? Mm. Yep. That's that's a very interesting point. Like, Oh, my God. There are a couple of those lines. It, it happens in uh, New Hope too, when he says, uh, "When we last met, I was only but the learner, but now I am the master." Yeah, you could almost say that you could apply that to Revenge of the Sith, but it, it's but you certainly can run with that elsewhere, and then you juxt- yeah. you in conjunction with the, uh, the the aforementioned statement from from Harloff. I think that there is something there, and let's just set aside the Vader thing. I don't want Vader overdone. I think one more. I think him being in a an Obi Wan solo film is all we need, and they might want to even consider replacing James Earl Jones. As much as I love him, he sounded like old man Vader in Rogue oh, One. He did, yeah, he yeah. just did. You know, it's oh, okay. The guy's that. like ninety now. It's, I mean, God bless him, right? But it, yeah, yeah but it was it was noticeable. But uh, also, I just I think there's a great story to be told. I don't want an Obi Wan trilogy. I mean, unless it could be justified i don't see that but tell it tell there's a great story and by the for the love of god can we also see why the hell he was ever called ben i don't know i would like to see that because we were lucas got a little lazy with that in Rins of the sith because he was never referred to as ben and suddenly in a new hope he's like oh, i was ben before you were born like you were when you know mm. but but maybe if they can at least there's just little neat things they can do and quite frankly uh ewan mcgregor i think deserves it yeah yeah, yeah. No one would play a better Obi-Wan. That's he deserves sure. it. No, but look, Aaron, listen, you just said earlier you're not a fan of the prequels. I respect that. But as a person not a fan, do you uh, do you agree with me that, that Ewan McGregor was still great as Obi-Wan oh, in the films? Dude, 100, 100%. I mean, okay, he's, he's one of the bright spots in, in, in the prequels, without a doubt. So even people like Aaron that don't even like the prequels still want to see Ewan McGregor reprises yeah. Rose Obi-Wan. And then people like me that like the prequels and love Sith – and definitely want to see him. I mean, so in other words, everyone wants to see him come back, right? And so, I think that I think that is wise, and I hope that they do it. And um, are you a fan of mention, Rebels? Have you seen Rebels? Uh, I have. You know, I've, I I love Clone Wars, and I have watched Rebels, uh, not religiously. I certainly watched, obviously, when Darth Maul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was man. On. And uh, I love I love that episode. But I haven't really been paying that much attention to Rebels. And listen, that has for no other reason. Other than just life, two kids, working wife, working husband, yeah. just uh, just life. It's not any – it's everything I've seen I love. I just haven't been able to sit and commit to it. I'm so behind on comic books. I have four books, novels that I need to read. I am way behind on movies. There's movies I haven't gotten to I haven't seen. So I, <laughs> I'm, I'm just behind in stuff, period. So Star Wars Rebels is, is something I want to get caught up on. Yeah, they do some really good stuff. Uh, with Obi-Wan and um, well, you, you mentioned that that scene where he squares off with uh, with Maul and then, you know, that that ends the way it does with with him taking him down. And uh, and then they kind of call back to Luke 
You hear Amparu calling Luke's name somewhere in the background. Was, that was such a dope episode. Oh, dope episode. Wow. That, that and, sounds and, pretty cool. And you could have that, something like that, in the film. And it's, I mean, it could be really special. And I, I, I really mm-hmm. want it to be sort of a, uh, a very a character study film too. I don't, I, we don't even, I mean, obviously it's going to go in, into space and he'll, he'll probably have to leave Tatooine at some point. And maybe that's where he goes to face, it goes off to face Vader somewhere. But, uh, if, if 80% of that film is him in the in desert and just, and just exploring himself and life and people around mm-hmm. him, it's right director and everything. It would be a, also a very interesting, um, route for the franchise to take. Let's do something different. You know, Rogue One gave us the true war movie. Hopefully the solo film will give us sort of the, I don't know, cop buddy kind of thing. I don't really know how to phrase what they're mm-hmm. going for, but maybe maybe it's something unique and special. We'll see. And without a doubt, The Last Jedi is unique. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, without a doubt. So there's all sorts of, I, I like that. Let's let's mix Let's mix it up. All right, so Aaron, you get a call tomorrow from Kathleen Kennedy, and she says, you've got green light power. What standalone movie do you want to see get made? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> right yeah. on the spot. Yeah, no, 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 seriously. Um, this is going to sound crazy. Um, I, would, I would actually like a solo Luke Skywalker movie. Really? Um, I want I want to know what happens to this guy between um, A New Hope and uh, Empire. I know some of the comic stuff are, are they're starting to explore. Some oh, so of you want to go back then? Back then. I, 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 I thought there. you were going to say between Return of the Jedi and Force there, Awakens. It's it's interesting. Like so, the books the books I've been reading have been kind of filling in the gaps there. I I, I would kind of want to see that too, but there's just some interesting stuff in terms of how he starts to master the force things that he's starting to learn is training with, you know, with, um, you know, with Ben and all of that. Yeah. And just, yeah, I just kind of want to see that. The sec- second to that. Yeah. I mean, the second one would be a, a Boba Fett one, but I mean, everyone talks about Boba Fett movies. Yeah. And so your number know. one is a Luke Skywalker film set between episodes four and five. Do you cast Sebastian Stan as Luke? <laughs> That is a that is a creepy morphing photo. That thing. <laughs> it really is. Have you seen it, Rick? No, I haven't. Oh my God! There's a picture of Sebastian Stan where they sort of more you know who he is, Winter Soldier, um, yes. and they sort of merge his face with Hamill's face when they in like young Luke mode, and you can't tell who you're looking at. Like they're they're practically like the same person. It's the strangest yeah, thing. And, in fact, it became such like a viral thing that Hamill commented on it recently. And he said, yeah, I could see uh, Stan playing a young Luke. You, ha- you have to look it up. I'm, I'm going to send it to you, Ricardo. Yeah. But, Please um, do. Now, so, so do, do you cast Sebastian Stan? Or what oh, about oh, Alden oh. Ehrenreich? No, how the fuck not? <laughs> how the fuck not? So I, I'd, I'd say Sebastian Stan, but that would Yeah, they, okay. they look alike. All right, so Rick, same question. You get the call tomorrow. They say Kathleen Kennedy's on the other line. She they, they patch her through. She says, Rick, I've been looking for you. First of all, I love the Batman on Film podcast. <laughs> Second of all, uh, you have green light power. What Star Wars standalone should we make next? Is this outside of a Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan? Because that's my go-to yes. one. Yeah, okay. you already mentioned that. So beyond that. 
okay, beyond that, that's a great question because that's sort of like where I'm emotionally invested in. Look, I would be, I would love maybe a, a story of, of Emperor Palpatine and his rise to him discovering his powers. And mm-hmm. look, I, I, I want to get away from this star, this Skywalker thing altogether. I just, there's a couple of little things that I think that we can still do with standalones, but episodic wise for sure move on. But I think, you know, you think about, let's just look at the Phantom Menace. He's Darth Sidious. He's already a Darth a Sith Lord, you know, yeah. but Al, where did he come from? Who the hell is he? Not the politician that was manipulating everybody that became the emperor, but where did he come from? And since we already get a backstory in a sense already, why not dig a little deeper? He's a fascinating character. Mm. Let's let's see where he everything with that he did twenty years prior to the Phantom Menace and his rise to yeah, mm. interesting. You know, okay, yeah. All what right, about now, you? Oh, for me, you yeah. know, oddly enough, I mean, oddly enough, I would actually try. I, I, I would be down for a Vader between episodes three and four movie. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, I, there, there's some interesting stuff that happens with, uh, with Vader. Um, there's a, there's a really cool book. It's called, um, Lords of the Sith. And it's, uh, it's like a solo book between, uh, Vader and the emperor and they get, there's uh, some plot to take them out and they yeah. get stuck on a, on a different planet. And you find out that, um, that the emperor does little things to manipulate Vader um, where he kind of seeks out the light within Vader and has him like murder a whole village of people because he knows because they've revealed that the that the emperor has force powers and things like that. And um, so basically he's like they have all of these villagers hiding out in a cave and he's like, um, Lord Vader, they've all seen me use my uh use the force um you need to take care of that and he basically goes in there and he gets all upset and he wipes everybody out wow. <laughs> yeah yes, and, really and i've heard snippets stuff. of stuff like that so a part of me is like you know what <laughs> i wouldn't mind seeing like you know basically the vader that we saw in rogue one like younger crazy powerful vader uh, when he's basically just like you know the muscle to Palpatine, yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing a film about him. And also, somebody mentioned it years ago. I don't know who did, but someone mentioned the idea of doing something that's like a Seven Samurai, but with Jedi. And that sounds really appealing to me too. It's a, a total sort of separate of anything, just you know, set on a different you know, maybe possibly set it during the time of the Old Republic. But seeing like a seven a seven samurai type film, but mm. about the Jedi, I think will be pretty badass as well. Mm. Um, I'm with that. Now, Aaron, I know that sometimes you listen to this and you you, you tweet out <laughs> that you wish you could chime in or you, you have you have so much you want to say. So while you've got Rick and I here, and I don't want to keep Rick too much longer. I know he's uh, he's got a lot on his plate. Are are there are there any Star Wars topics that you've been bursting to bring up, or to address, uh, or to counter man. me? <laughs> <laughs> so do we want to go there with this whole uh, Kylo Ren double agent uh, thing? And and Rick, don't say a thing. If it's... we'll see, well, the, yeah, and that's the tricky thing. I thought of that, but he saw the movie, so technically he may know the answer. But Rick, yeah. just so you know, like the, uh, the 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 short version is. I've been saying for a while, I have a feeling that Kylo is not as evil as we make him out to be, and that 
Han Solo's death in in Force Awakens was almost done willingly on Solo's part. He knew that he had to sacrifice himself in order to help Ben, you know, get closer to Snoke and sort of be able to, you know, hurt him and kill him and ultimately help the good guys. So that's been a theory of mine for a while. Aaron thinks I'm crazy. Is there anything you can say without spoiling? <laughs> no. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I will say this. That's interesting. And I think that, yeah, I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm glad. God damn, See, so man. it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to have this chat with Rick sitting right here. But Aaron, I know. Just tell me why you think I'm on crack, and we'll let Rick just quietly assess if I'm on crack. There's just um, it, was, it it, it kind of defeats the purpose for some of the other things we see the character do in the um, in the movie, right? So it's like little outbursts and. Even the conversation that he um, he has with Vader's helmet, um, I get the, the the idea of the pull to the light, but there's this idea that I've been thinking about um, as it relates to The Last Jedi, and it has to do with this Luke finding some sort of balance between both dark and light, and that in order to be a true wielder of the Force, you have to embrace embrace both sides. And so I think that's where a lot of Kylo's struggles. Gray Jedi. Uh, yeah, gray. I mean, for lack of a better term, sure. I mean that. I think that's old old canon. They're not. I don't yeah. think they would use use that. But yeah, something something similar to that. Um, it's alluded to in some of the books. Although Christian Harloff, as we mentioned before, has uh, has kind of uh, smacked Lucasfilm for not really integrating a lot of the canon that they're crafting in the books and other media into the movies. And so we don't really get a payoff there. So I, I could see them not mentioning something like that, but it is alluded to in some of the books that I've been reading. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I just think that he has to be, he has to be a bad guy. Um, because you know, the star Wars movies have always been about this battle between good and evil. Now, do I absolutely think he's probably being manipulated by Snoke? Sure. Um, but I'll say this, I do not, if he does end up being, a, why I don't want really want to see him turn to a, a good guy or whatever, or be playing both sides, is he, there's no redemption. I, I don't want to see another redeemable character. I, mean, I think Vader... Um, he already but, had that arc. Yeah, right? so I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to see that repeated. I um, hear you. I hear you. I'm just telling you, I have a feeling that Kylo is not as bad as uh, we were initially led to believe. And uh, some of what we saw in seven was really, you know, episode seven was really just sort of smart strategizing. But, um, yeah. All right. So I see it. I mean, I don't think he's going to, you know, the the trailers sort of allude to him, you know, struggling with taking out Leia. Yeah. Um, But there's, you know, I don't think that's going to happen either. Okay. Okay. So now before we wrap this up, yeah, do you have any questions or anything you want to bring up with Rick and I? Hmm. Gosh, you guys are putting me on spot, man. <laughs> well, listen, you're, you're a listener. You listen to Batman on film I, podcast. I you listen to mine. You, you, you've got two of us here. So, you know, while you've got us, is there any you know, any burning questions or, or, or an observation you want to share with us or a theory you want to run by us or, you know, anything? 
I, I just want to say that I think you're really great on radio, man. You're really good at this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, I feel like you're a guest that I don't know if you do podcasts on the side or not. But it now, sounds he bought like a mic just to do this. Yeah, I'm telling. I mean, he sounds like he's been on a hundred of these. It's My just, first go. Um, thank you nice. for that, man. That's awesome. No, that's that's a huge compliment. Uh, that's just yeah. a fact. Nice work. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, now, nah, man, I, I mean, honestly, you guys kind of you, you stumped me, but on um, the question, I just <laughs> want to say I, I love you guys. You guys are awesome, awesome, uh, you know, doing this with you. And, and um, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to listen to you guys again. Great. All right. So, Rick. Um, oh, wow, that just made my day. That's a very cool thing to say. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah no, Aaron's a good dude. Aaron's a good dude. That's why I, he, he's the first listener I've ever had on the show with me. Everyone else I brought on is either a That's fellow writer of some sort. <laughs> yeah, like, last week I brought on one of my best friends, but he's the first one who's like an actual like a listener listener. And uh, I, I knew he would be great. And uh, you, you were pretty damn great, Aaron. He's uh, great. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Aaron. Oh, I just no, I just came up with a question. I'm sorry. Oh, there uh, we go. Yeah. So, so for Rick, do and uh, you don't really have to answer this actually because I, I don't want to be spoiled. <laughs> but I kind of do want to be spoiled. Do they explore the idea of the Knights of Ren? In uh, do me a fa- do me a favor. I was going to say this anyway, so let's tie this in. When we get off mic here, I need to run and check on my kids. Some solo dad tonight. Do me a huge favor. Get uh, get my information from Mario. Mario, if you wouldn't mind, get him yeah, my cell. Yeah. And then Aaron, shoot me a text, and that way I've got your number. And then let's yeah, we'll ch- let's chat after the 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 film, and maybe we all can reconvene and, and, and do a show. Maybe it'll, I'll do it through Batman on film. We can do it here. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Let's talk about the movie. But that that particular question. It will be a real fun one to address with you. Ooh, okay. Look at Looking that. I love it. All right, Aaron, yeah. tell people how they could find you on the Twitter. Yeah, man. Uh, so you can find me. It's real easy. It's A as an apple and my last name, Varola. Um, that's V as in Victor, I-R-O-L-A. Um, yeah, pretty easy to find. I, uh, I'm i kind of vulgar and a bit <laughs> all over the place. But... Uh, don't judge He's me. passionate. He's got a lot of sasong. That's why he yeah, listens man. to El Fun Boy. Uh, what about you, Rick? How can people find you? Dude, I'm a Texan, man. I got to make sure I don't F-bomb every other word. I hear you. <laughs> um, uh, find me on Twitter, Rick S-H-E-W-R-I-C-K. Obviously, Batman on film. And uh, this is not to Shh. promote politics, but if you're into politics, you can also find me at Left Shoe Politics, S-H-E-W. Nice. Guys, thank you so much for t- we, we, we've been on we've been doing this for over an hour now. Shit. So thank you so much for spending an hour with me to talk Star Wars. And I can't think of a better way to sign off and end this conversation than to say, may the force be with you. So that was certainly very fun. And I, uh, I hope to do a lot more stuff like that in the future. Uh, before we wrap things up, I want to just send a special thank you out. The show got two new Patreon pledges in the last month, in the last week. So special thanks go out to Lawrence Kaufman and to Christopher Marquez. Thank you guys for uh, for visiting Patreon.com/slash Elfanboy and supporting the cause and everyone else. 
Please tell your friends. Please take time to to shoot me five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Those always help. Last week, I broke into the top five fanboy podcasts in the world. Let's keep that momentum going. Let's keep this thing growing. Because like I said, next year, in fact, next month, in fact, really just a few weeks from now, things are going to get very, very exciting, and I want you all to be a part of it. So, until next week, adios. (laughs) 